The postseason is here, and the Ringer NBA show has you covered with Real Ones, Group Chat, The Answer, and Ringer NBA postgame. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Hey there. You know that Hulu has movies, right? Well, if you didn't, we're here to tell you. Hulu has movies. Hulu has acclaimed movies like All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Suncoast, starring Woody Harrelson and Laura Linney. And Cat Person with Amelia Jones and Nicholas Braun. They even have a bunch of movies that we've already done on the rewatchables. So head on over to Hulu if you like movies, because you guessed it, Hulu has movies. This episode is brought to you by USAA Auto Insurance. Life is full of tough decisions. Thanks to USAA Auto Insurance, picking your auto coverage is not one of them. Make the switch to USAA Auto Insurance and find out how much you could save. Get a quote today. Restrictions apply. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network. You can hear Logan Murdoch on the Ringer NBA show. You can hear Van Lathan on Higher Learning and the Ringerverse. And you can hear Sean Fennessy on the big picture. Today, you'll hear them with me. We're going to tackle one of the best movies of the last 30 years, Boys in the Hood. That's next. Five minutes away from your nice, safe neighborhood, there's a war going on. And the news isn't covering it. Either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. Boys in the Hood. It's the kind of news that usually gets buried. Rated R. All right, Van, Sean, and Logan are here. Boys in the Hood. 30th anniversary. Crazy. Can't believe it. Yet another event that makes me just feel old. Van, why does this movie mean so much to you? Uh, It means a lot because it was eye-opening for me. I actually saw this movie in California. You know, even though I grew up in Louisiana, we saw this. We we moved out here for a couple of years, right? Oh, I think it was like 89 to like literally the riots happened. My dad was like, we're out. Um, But I remember going to the theater to see the movie and having it wash over people just how accurate of depiction of life in South Los Angeles was at that time, you know? And just the cultural phenomenon that it was to where we talk about like monoculture and how things have changed now and they don't become things the same way they used to. This was everywhere. This was like, you had to see it. You had to be there. Think about it. As a family, we're talking about mother, father, two kids. We went to the movies to see this. It's not exactly a, a fuzzy family film, but like my dad wanted us to check it out. He wanted us to know. It was almost like John Singleton wrote the book on South Central Los Angeles dysfunction with this or wrote part of it, a big chapter. A movie existed when you when you were alive, Logan. This is like the second movie we've done where I wasn't alive when it came yeah, out. Yeah, I know. This is, okay. <laughs> I know. Uh, I appreciate you guys bringing me on despite that. Um, it was but, basically an excuse to get you to like, we're actually doing this in person right now. Yeah, yeah is this, is, this is cool. I mean, um, similar to Van, but a different experience, right? Like my dad always used to talk about how he used to watch it. And, you know, we're from Oakland and from the Bay. And, you know, Oakland and the Bay, Oakland and Los Angeles have a bit of a kinship, right? They have like a, we have a bit of like, um, you know, everybody got a cousin in LA. So there was, there was definitely similar things that, um, that I could see from that movie. Uh, but the biggest thing from that was just, it, it was, 
the one of the first movies I saw on cable that I always wanted to rewatch. Hmm. Um, it was one of those things where it was like, man, this is a movie about black people directed by black people and something that I can kind of relate to. Right. I really could. Re- and I'm sure we'll get into this um, throughout this show. But like, I really related to Trey. Right. Like I wasn't I'm not no hood dude, but I could I knew all those people. Right. You, I'm sure Van knows a dope boy or knows. um um, these different types of characters. And I saw a lot of myself in that. And it was one of the first movies where I kind of saw a lot of myself in. There's a revolution happening at this point because Do the Right Things two years earlier. Townsend makes Hollywood Shuffle. When was that, 88? Yeah. Um, and we have this run, New Jack City and King of New York, which we did, Jungle Fever, Boys in the Hood, and Juice all in a couple years. And Hollywood had shied away. And then all of a sudden, guess what happens? These movies are making money. Um, do you look at this as... When we talk about eras, Sean, this is a distinct era. Doesn't it feel like it? Well, it it is a the mini era. It is the culmination of a lot of studio executives noticing what's happening in independent movies and reacting to that and saying, we actually should give a young black filmmaker money to make a movie and release it in 2000 theaters, which is not something that was happening before this. This is a, not only is it a hugely emotional and culturally important movie, it's a big hit. You know, it was a very well-known, instantaneous movie. It made stars of all of the stars of the movie, and it made stars of the filmmaker. And it's a Columbia Pictures movie. It's not—it didn't come from some weird direct-to-video company that was trying to make money on the side. It wasn't made by some weirdo like Abel Ferrara, you know, helicoptering into New York City grime life. It's made by a person from this place telling an honest story, but also supported by a system that historically didn't give filmmakers like him a chance. So it's important in that way. That doesn't mean that— it created a revolution of filmmakers who got to do that. And that's kind of what's interesting about it is not just what happens in the movie, but what we learn and what the studios do after that. It's like the second coming of the black exploitation in the 90s, right? Where you have these black films that are cheap to make, but they make a lot of money. And we saw that with the Mac in the 70s. We saw that with uh, Foxy Brown and all these things. And it was just like the second coming of that. Coffee and all these types of movies. And you kind of see, oh yeah, black films can make bread too for a major studio. It was like we had to prove ourselves all over again. Like we didn't, you know, help save the movie industry in the seventies. It was like, we had to do it again. You know what I mean? And it was, it was one of those things where, uh, we, it was one of those things where it was like, damn, we just need a chance. And we got that in in that revolution. You speak. Well, I look at it like, so in the seventies, this was being represented all over the place in TV and movies. And I'm just like growing up in New England, but I'm all these shows on TV, Different movies like the ones you mentioned. I remember seeing, uh, what was the one with Lawrence Hilton Jacobs in the theater? Cornbread Earl and Me. Yeah, Cornbread Earl and Me. All those. And then it kind of stops right around 79, 80. And all of a sudden, this is gone. And then it comes back in a big way. But I, I still don't understand what happened for those eight years. Well, I think— it's basically Eddie Murphy, and I think, that's it. I think that's kind of what happened. I think that, um, I think that you had megastars— Coming to film. Like, yeah. the 80s become the megastar film decade, and you see megastars, and you almost kind of feel like those movies are enough. Like, when you have Axel Foley out there, you say, okay, there's a black guy. So there's a movie that's, that's you know, that's mm. black. Or you when you have a film that's more of a, a historical concept film, like a like a like like The Color Purple, you start to say, hey, there you go. They, we're out there. And you start to see these, these people pop up, and they're around, and you see them. But something different happens around the end of the 80s that really propels this type of storytelling into the forefront, and that's hip-hop. So, like, when hip-hop comes along, even this movie, this movie is just like a living NWA record, right? Mm. 
And even when you go out to New York and you have New Jack City, like the soundtrack and the vibe of the streets have been so detailed and so uh, explained by the music that these films came right after it to give it a, 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 a like sort of a, a wider push to a wider audience. So when I see, and even when you see Ice Cube in this movie, it doesn't really feel like he's playing a part at all. It feels like he's living the rhymes that have been around. And Hollywood actually took notice, if you ask me, of just how popular the music had been. The music itself had completely crossed over. NWA was top five without any singles being played on the radio. There's an audience for this. People want to know more about this. And so they followed suit. You know, when a movie's great, it's bringing you into some world, right? You're just in there and you're, we're in this world. It's less than two hours. And I feel like I know everybody. Um, I feel like I could spend 10 hours with these people. Nowadays, I think this would be a Netflix show. I think it's mm. pretty clear they would not make this as a movie. But um, it's amazing to me. He's 24 when he makes this. Yeah, This has gone wrong so many times where somebody's like, all right, here's my vision. But it's like a guy who's or a woman who just doesn't know how to put the pieces together. The mystery of this movie to me, and I get it. It was a passion project. Um, he spent years trying to make the script. It was very autobiographical. But yet, Sean, that's usually it doesn't work where the movie's actually good. I think this is in the running for best first movie anyone's ever made. Well, in addition to it being really great and arguably the greatest debut ever, it's crazy that they let him make it. The story yeah. of this historically, and it's certainly true for black filmmakers, but it's true for a lot of filmmakers. If you're 24 and you're out of film school and you're like, I have a very important autobiographical story, guess what? So does every other person who graduated from film school. They're like, I have a dream film. It's about my life. My life matters. I need to see it on screen. Same thing for books, right? I mean, how many people have done like, I just got out of college. Here's my passion project and everything's super autobiographical. And 99% of the time, the people who have power and money say, that's cute, kid. Why don't you take this job over here, punch up that script keep working on it, and maybe 10 years from now we'll let you make it. Yeah. But, I mean, there's a very short list of people who are sub-30 who made a movie this good. Let's hear it. I on that, with this. Uh, Let's hear the list. I keep, I think there's there's three key ones. It's Orson Welles, obviously. Citizen Kane. He's 25 years old. Who is that? Orson Welles. Arguably Orson the most Welles. important filmmaker of all time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then two people who are operating right around the same time as Singleton. Soderbergh, who's 26 when he makes Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Shout out to Baton Rouge. And, and Quentin Tarantino when he's 28 when he makes Reservoir Dogs. Mm. Very similar stories for both of those guys who they said, I wrote this movie. This movie is yeah. very, very important to me. I have a very clear vision of it. Other people tried to make the film, and they were like, under no circumstances will the movie be made unless I direct it. I, I think the biggest thing for that, though, is that um, John Singles actually had an ally at uh, at Columbia. Um, Blanking on her name, I really hope we can get this in post. But um, in post, she was really she was really instrumental in helping out John get this film. And she was a black woman who helped who got us, promoted, who right? got promoted yeah. after this film done. But you kind of need that, especially you when uh, you know you're from a you know a minority background. You do need someone to come to bat for you. And it was a perfect storm of somebody seeing his vision and also his passion to where like, nah, fuck that, I'm gonna make this film. And you can kind of see that from John early on. He was one of those guys that was very fearless at a young age because you don't see people that fearless at that young of an age right out of college. He said, nah, I made it out of, out of my circumstance. I made it through USC. I'm going to make this film because you're not going to pigeon, uh, you're not going to parachute somebody in, this is quote, from Idaho or somewhere else to make a film about South Central in a place that I know better than everybody else. And that was really important. 
Well, you think about best first movies. You mentioned a couple. Get Out, Jordan Peele. Sure. American Beauty, Duel, Spielberg's first one. Mad Max, Bottle Rocket, Reservoir Dogs, Shawshank. Frank Darabont was older at that point. Most of those people were in their 30s. When I know. They were the first That's movie, you the know? difference here is the dude's 24. How old was Spike when he made She's Gotta Have It? Very young. Very young. He was probably mid 20s, right? Film school, yeah. I think what's weird about this is this also became the best movie he ever made. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah, this was his uh, Get Rich or Die Trying. Yep. Like, yeah. You know, this was, you know, he, he explodes out. You've heard all the buzz. And then you go into it. And, I, you know, I'm comparing it to, to, to the classic that 50 dropped. 50. Do you just disrespect Power of the Dollar, though? I mean, I feel like Power of the Dollar first comes all, first. I, the Power of the Dollar is great, but Get Rich or Die Trying is <laughs> I, the I, 50 Cent album. I think that you're disrespecting Baby Boy, but that's important. <laughs> Baby, Boy is good. Baby Boy is dope, too. Baby Look, I love John Singleton. I love a lot. Of, but this movie, like, you watch it, it just has a different texture to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. This is his ministry to the film-going public. This is the story that he had to tell. And to the point that we're making, a lot of guys don't get to ch the chance to tell the story that they have to tell until they've told every other story um, that people have told them that they have to tell. So uh, something else I will say about him, because we, we compare him with Quentin and a couple, uh, a couple of these other guys, he is conventional in the way, or was conventional in the way that, like, is a, he went to a Blue Blood film school. Yep. You know what I mean? Like he, like he's he a went to filmmaker. He's a yeah, he went to the film school. It's like you almost compare him to Coogler of today. Yeah, Fruvell isn't Boys in the Hood, but you know it's the movie that both USC alums. I both should have mentioned Fruvell. That's another one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Fruvell. Yeah. It's not Boys in the Hood, but it's the movie where okay, here's the kid out of SC. This is the story that he's telling from where he's from. Look how great this is. This is the next guy. But also that the, the comparison that you have between Coogler and uh, John Singleton is they're both talking about something from home. Right. right? From where they're like, from. I remember like Fruvel for me was my boys in the hood. Mm. You know, we went to I went to Grand Lake Theater when it first came out, right? And you could see actually like Ryan and his brothers all outside. It was really a, a family organic type of grit type of movie like that, right? To where they didn't have a lot of money. They had to figure it out. Um, and you finally saw something like, man, Oakland's on screen. It's not like we didn't have Oakland films before. It's like you, not like you didn't have L.A. films before. But you spoke about a specific demographic of people that hadn't had their stories told. And I think that's the similarity that you have between Coogler and, um, and Singleton. Well, you had Do the Right Thing does it in Brooklyn, and then this does it in L.A. But this isn't like that far away from that Colors movie with— uh Sean Penn and Duval, which was basically like the white cops are the heroes. See, even that, and the blacks are all the terrible gangsters. This movie is a revolution against that. Yeah. yeah. Singleton specifically cites it. He's like, I saw that film and I did not understand why this movie is about the cops. Makes no sense. Yeah. This movie is like completely, we had all seen Colors, right? That was two and a half years before this right. movie. Colors was a phenomenon in its own right. You know, like when Ice-T came on and Ice-T does the soundtrack and then yeah. you're watching the movie, you got young Don Cheeto. Colors in and of itself but it still was propaganda. It still yeah. was a look at people's lives through the lens of the people that police them. And this was just completely different, you know? And, and I think that's, that shows, um, that's why film is so important, right? Because for the most part, you see, like you said, the propaganda. But then when you see a film that is as great as Boys in the Hood from another perspective, that shows the world that, you know, black folks aren't, aren't black folks aren't just beasts, right? That we're just not, you know, just up to no good. And that we, I think, this humanized black folks in a way where, 
Yo, man, black folks are trying. You even see in the beginning where Doughboy, um, he's broke. And he's, it starts off, he's like, yo, man, I just want to get some food. I ain't got no money, but I'm going to get some food. That's basic survival instincts. And I think that you don't see, and you see the graduation of that in the Doughboy of what he is at the end of the thing. But it humanizes of, like, why this happens. Mm. These people are poor. These people don't have the same advantages. They don't have these advantages that white folks have. They don't have all these things. And I think that that really humanized black folks in Los Angeles in a way that I don't think colors did. Well, in the other piece, there's no corny monologues in this movie. Anytime somebody has like a, I don't want to say a speech or like a long piece of dialogue, it's really good and it's organic and it feels like that speech Fishburne gives in front of the empty lot, which is one of the best moments of the movie, that could be so bad in the wrong hands, right? And he basically sums up three big picture issues all like organically with this weird crowd that gathers around him. And it's like, this just shouldn't be good. And it's completely riveting. I don't know. There's just from a filmmaking standpoint, and it became Spike versus Singleton immediately because it was hard not to think of it. And I think Singleton tried to get a job with Spike on, uh, on do the right thing and didn't get it. Yeah. So there was a little animosity. And then eventually I think they got together, but they got pitted against each other. Right away. And, you know, that's a media thing. That's what we do sometimes with this stuff. But um, Spike does Malcolm X, what was that, a year later? Mm -hmm. And then just he kind of kind of leaves him behind. I just don't think, obviously they're both black filmmakers at a, the same time, but they don't have a lot in common. They're obviously thinking about the environments that they grew up in and it's important to tell the stories that they're telling. But Singleton, to your point, Van, is a, is a very conventional filmmaker. He's a studio filmmaker. He's, yeah, he's more like Rob Reiner. He totally mm -hmm. is. Which was, I mean, he, there's so many Stand By Me um, He's trying to make a studio movie. Yeah. He's right. trying to make a, a, it's not a crowd pleaser. It's crushing, but it's a classical melodrama. You know, it's a, it, it's it, uh, these kids coming of age and then there are traumatic events that happen and you get very attached to the characters. Spike was doing something very different. I mean, Spike was provoking audiences very purposefully trying to d spark debate i think singleton is trying to create awareness and empathy for people and there while spike has some of that and singleton has some of what spike had they they weren't really trying to make the same kinds of movies specifically i yeah. think also the difference between spike and uh singleton was i think spike was a bit more fully formed as a, as a director when he when he made his first movie you know and, and researching this you see uh, i think i read somewhere that um singleton was literally he got the film uh, from a camera standpoint and from a storytelling standpoint got better as they kept doing the story because he was getting better as a director mm. and so uh, i think that's a bigger difference as well is just that you know spike was a bit fully formed coming out of school more than singleton and it's weird to say that because i i think by all accounts this is singleton's best movie mm. well they're also making two completely different films yeah. yeah spike is making especially when he first starts spike is making small almost art pieces that yeah. are very rich and textured in terms especially of how he uses color yeah you know what i mean he's making and, and singleton is attacking a gigantic societal issue mm -hmm. and he's telling a story from so many different perspectives mm -hmm. Right, like there, so many different people have their arcs played out in this movie. It's just, it's just kind of different. One is a studio film, and one is, is you know, one uh, one guy makes independent films. Now, Spike, when by the time we get to do the right thing, it's a little different. But and she's got to have it. We're talking what four characters? Like sixty percent of the movie is pornographic level sex. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but no, right. it's a great film. I love it. But I'm just saying, you know what they totally have in different. common? What they had an unbelievable eye for talent. Man, and I yeah. think that that's like Spike's 
best quality that probably doesn't get mentioned enough in Singleton. It's not funny because in hindsight, justice he sees. In hindsight, this Tupac. is an ensemble cast. In hindsight, yeah. right? And you know, he just finds he finds Angela Bassett gave Angela Bassett a shot at this, right? What and about Ice Cube? He Ice had to like convince Ice Cube yeah. to be in a movie Morris for Chestnut, six months. Regina King. He, he yeah, found all these people around like, at people. the right time. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, Regina King had been on Two Two Seven, but it, it was like a completely. <laughs> it was like totally different when we saw her. We was like, oh shit! Even Fishburne, who was on Pee Wee Herman, like yeah. nah, he, he had worked a little bit. Yeah, he was a pop up Yeah, he had been around, but this is the kind of part that he deserved to get. This is the good segue. It's one of the biggest Oscar travesties of the 90s, maybe of all time. We talked about it during the City Slickers podcast because Jack Palance won Best Supporting Actor. Fishburne was not nominated. And when you watch this movie, and if you watch it with somebody who's never seen it before, you could tell that person, you know, Fishburne won Best Actor for him. Be like, oh, yeah, of course, he should have. Not nominated. Yeah. And this was the same Oscars that Singleton did get nominated. He became the youngest director ever to get nominated. More importantly, first black director, which I I, I even seeing it in the Wikipedia, I'm like, wait a second. Wait, is insane. that that it's like one of those. It's like, oh, uh, oh. But that speaks to that that speaks to number one, speaks to the movies that weren't getting made at that that's point. That's the that's mm. it. That, that that speaks to the movies that just weren't getting made. Right. If you look at guys now like Barry Jenkins or Steve McQueen or, or you know, even <laughs> we talk about the color purple, and I have this this running argument with people on Twitter, especially when I want to troll people and get them really fucking pissed off. <laughs> I ask the question: Is the color purple a black movie? You know, and and people go, "Yo, of course it's a black movie. The source material comes from a black woman author." Blah blah. blah. I'm like, Spielberg directed that shit. So can the movie be a black film with a white guy at the helm? The, 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 the answer is obviously, of course, culturally it can. But still, in today's day and age, you would never, ever, ever, ever see a white dude in the director's chair for a movie like that. Ever. Now, well, remember Ali when Spike got mad that Michael Mann was the one that was doing Ali? It was in, that was in 2000. It was there, nine years after this. There have been a couple in recent years that I've been surprised. Like Hidden Figures was directed by a white man. So it does still happen from time to time. But the point you're making is right on. It's good. For some reason, Hidden Figures feels different, though. Yeah. It, maybe it, it does. It, 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 it feels different. I don't know why. But Come but, back to me on that. But it feels different. Like if it's a bunch of motherfuckers and we all out in the color purple era and then, then I don't know, dog. <laughs> fucking somebody you know what I'm saying if, if Theodore Melfi had directed the Underground yeah. Railroad you'd be like this is That's fucked up yeah, yeah yeah. but to your point I, I guess it still does but like that the fact that no one had ever been nominated it just it just shows you the types of films that we weren't getting but even the movies that J Logan was citing Coffee and the whole black exploitation era all those directors are white. That's Jack Hill, Jack Starrett. It's all of these guys yeah. who are working for these. By the way, those same thing houses. with the TV shows. They're all written by yeah, white guys: Norman Sanford Lear. and Son, yeah. the yeah. Jeffersons. Um, I I have this one to throw at you, in terms of uh, hyperbole. I think this is one of the best father son movies of all time, uh, yes. and it actually made me go try to make my list of what I thought were the best ones ever. And I think it's this one: Kramer versus Kramer, The Godfather, mm -hmm. Liar, Field, Liar. Of, Field of Dreams. <laughs> A Bronx Tale, and a, a movie I don't love, but I think has to be included, Boyhood, just because it was so ambitious with how their relationship and how they did it over the years. But my point is, there's not a lot of great father-son movies. And this is ultimately, I know it's all, for all the reasons we mentioned why it's so important, but ultimately it's a father-son movie, and it's about that relationship. Yeah, I think the 
biggest thing. And, and I think, I think me, me and Van were talking about this before we started recording, just how much emotion you got out of watching this film at a, at a certain age. Um, and I, I, I felt that emotion. I was watching Trey and Furious Styles, right? Because Furious was, just wasn't Trey's father. He was, in a lot of ways, that whole neighborhood's father. You talk about mm. the, the first scene when Trey goes to meet Furious. Who's the one that's there? Doughboy and uh, little Chris. They're yeah. over here saying, yo, man, can you rake my leaves up? I'll give you some bread. And, like, he's looking out for these other kids. And, um, but there's Is also- he, though? A little bit, yeah. Yes. You think so? Oh. Because, because are you doing a zag? Well, I'm a, you don't I'm think a, so? Let me tell Harry you why. Styles, a, was he a good neighbor? Well, well, let me tell you why I'm a zag. <laughs> I think he, in the movie, and this is why he reminds me of my dad. He my, reminded me a lot of my dad. <laughs> my dad didn't give a damn about your kids. Like, he just didn't give a fuck. My father was like, hey, Van, be in this house. See the mother, see the mother little motherfuckers over there. He did say that verbatim. Yeah, yeah see the mother that. little motherfuckers right there. You gonna be in the house because dang, it ain't gonna happen for them. And even and but even you didn't think that the, they looked up to him. They, they looked. They all did. Right. No, I think they, they were afraid of him. Like just like they were afraid of my father. Remember, at even at the end of the movie, he goes, "Hey, yo, I'm sorry about your friend, but that's their problem. Mm. You're." my problem. Yeah. And I think that goes to show, now I think the people, I think they respected him, but I think that goes to show you sometimes the survival mentality. My father used to tell me, he used to be like, yo, the reason why I'm doing this with you is because you have to be more scared of me than you are of them. Yep. So when they ask you to do something, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Cause you can't, you have to be, forget about what they're going to say. You have to be afraid of what I'm going to do. Yeah. And so in that situation, I think that, I think that that shows you sometimes that being in a, a a place where survival is like always on your brain, sometimes it actually stops you from being a good neighbor. Sometimes it stops you from caring about the kids next door because you have to worry about your kids so much they might get wetted up. I think if your pronoun is a he that there and you have a father like that, there's only he's there's only certain things that that father can tell you, right? Like, and I think you got that during you got a lot of. Trey got a lot of guidance that a lot of those other kids couldn't get. He just did. You know, when they go out to Palos Verdes and they go and, you know, and, and play around and stuff and they have, like, the sex talk and things like that. I feel like Trey was a bit more sure of himself than a lot of, like, than Doughboy was. And even Ricky was to a certain extent. It really helped him to have, and I know it's cliche, and I really don't want it to be a cliche thing, but just to have both parents in the house. And that's just the based on circumstances, it didn't happen for those other kids. But I think it set up Trey in a lot of ways that it didn't set up those other kids. Yeah. Fishburn, you don't 20. want me to tell the story about my authoritarian upbringing. Man, Should tell, I not tell, tell it? No. Tell it. We want to know. It's another when you were living in Inglewood, my, my father. Way, hey, it wasn't much different. Sean, Sean's he grew gonna up go. in the house of cops. Uh, yeah. my, my dad used to come in and lay out a switch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did your pops cut your hair too? Did your pops cut your hair too? My, I, that's, that's, that's what, what was. That's thing. one of the things that aged the worst. By the way, is the haircuts in this movie? We'll talk about it. Yeah, um, but did your dad? Did your dad? Did your dad cut your hair? One time he did. My dad used to always cut my hair every like I couldn't go to a barber till I was like in sixth grade, and I remember like that scene in particular was really good when he was like fake cutting his hair and he can't, he's kind of side eyeing up as he's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. Fishburne twenty nine when he made this movie, which is the craziest fact in the movie. He's only seven years older than Cuba Gooding. Fishburne was one of those guys who always seemed seven years older than he was. And almost like a Greg Oden type situation. Even now where, on Blackish, he seems older than he is. Yeah, because he, he was in Apocalypse Now. What was he, 17? Yeah, I think younger than that. Or 16? Yeah. And he's like has a real part. He's on the boat he's for the boat. 20 minutes. In I like to think now. of this movie as the sequel to that. 
Oh. Because he went to Vietnam. Ooh. And then he came oh. back. <laughs> oh, that would have been a great That's my question. And then we he, know his name in Apocalypse Now, and it's not Furious it's Styles. Not Furious I think we was actually. Oh, I, I would have looked at it. It's not Furious Styles. That was his name. But still, I like to think of this movie. As soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> this is the guy from Apocalypse Now. He went to the army, came back, boom. I'm, I would not be shocked at all if that crossed John Singleton's mind, though, when he was writing it, you know? <laughs> Let's do Fishburne for two minutes here. We mm-hmm. had Tarantino on when we did. Which one was that? King of New York? Mm-hmm. And Tarantino did this whole impassioned argument that he thought Fishburne was the best actor of the 90s. And there's these two forks of the road with Fishburne. One was... It's a heartbreaking story. Yeah, it's tough. One was Pulp Fiction and the other was Die Hard with a Vengeance, right? That's right. And both times, Sam Jackson takes the part for reasons that had to do with his agents and stuff like that. And it just kind of never totally happens for him, even though it should have. And this turned out to be his best performance, I think, in a movie. I, I would put this the, first. The, and the, the it's, thing, it's kind of like the best Denzel like part I, of the Denzel like era that Denzel didn't play. I turn us up there. I was just going to say what's low. Also, but like, the thing with Fishburne is like he has that low-key uh, presence, yeah, but like, like he's been Saturn, in movies, It's a though. little Saturn Live character right? The really? I turn, oh, he's got the wig. Like, you have props. <laughs> <What>? He's got <laughs> no props in Boys of the I learned about <laughs> I Turner through, no, because no, it was Fishburne. I think right. Turner is Lawrence He's Fishburne, great in that movie. Though. I just think it's easier to play a character to be so over the top. Yeah, dad in this movie. I think he is at this time at the absolute, he's getting the best parts. He goes, King of New York, Boys in the Hood, Deep Cover, What's Love Got to Do With It, then your favorite Searching Bobby Fisher, and then Higher Learning, I where he plays the Searching Professor. I Fisher. can't get enough of that movie. Love yeah. that. He's good in that movie, too. I, so I that's a that's that a movie. pretty damn good run, even though he doesn't get Pulp Fiction and he doesn't get the blockbuster and Die Hard with And he had Matrix, bro. He's fine. Like, he came back later. He's fine. Matrix, fine. He, he's Matrix fine. when he made his money. So Singleton nominated for Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, youngest ever to be nominated for Director, first black director, obviously. Um, the cast... We mentioned it. Ice Cube, Cuba Gooding, Lawrence Fishburne, Nia Long, Morris Chestnut, Angela Bassett, Tyra Farrell, Regina King. All of them went on to do more stuff than this. $6 million budget made $69 million. It was only released in 811 theaters. Hmm. Wow. Killing that per screen average. There were some some states that probably didn't get a lot of Boys in the Hood screenings, I'm guessing. They might have avoided a couple of them. A big proponent of this movie, our guy Raj. He did it, Raj. He wrote the uh, the big review. It went to Khan. Um, there's funny if you if you really care about this movie, you want to Google it. Google some of the stories about it where they go to Khan and Singleton had like never left California before, yeah. and all of a sudden he's with Madonna and all these people, and his head's just spinning. Um, it becomes a thing at Khan. Ebert gives it four stars. Is crying in the theater. It was like a legendary. It's a legendary. Con, like it's a le- yeah. Le- no, not that. That it was just a legendary film. Legendary content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they were like over the rafters clapping, yeah. and it was just like. It was, and they it did was some merch stuff too that kind of made it a thing. Like Singleton said at one point, he saw Madonna wearing a Boys in the Hood T-shirt. Nobody had even seen the movie yet, and he was just like, "What's happening to my life?" Can you imagine at twenty four? He's twenty four. Madonna. <sighs> so Ebert said, "This is pre-Pac Madonna." Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pre Pac Madonna. Mm-hmm. Ebert said, by the end of Boys in the Hood, I realized I had seen not simply a brilliant directorial debut, but an American film of enormous importance. Mm. And I think that still stands. We're going to take a break. We have a lot of categories to go through here. This episode is brought to you by USAA Insurance. When you're a homeowner in the military community, peace of mind is priority. And USAA Homeowners Insurance has the award-winning service to give you just that. 
you have to file a claim, the process is transparent and easy. You can do it all right in the USAA app. And replacement cost coverage comes standard. That means damaged items are repaired or replaced even if they cost more today than they did when you bought them. Which could put your wallet at ease too, by the way. Tap the banner or visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more and get a quote. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Walmart Plus. Walmart Plus, the membership that helps you save on things you expect plus the things you don't. I mean, did you realize you could save on gas? Did you realize you can save on free delivery from your store with no markups whatsoever? Do you realize you can get a Paramount Plus subscription included? Take it up a night. Paramount has some great stuff, including a couple of my favorite shows of all time. With Walmart Plus, you save on all of this plus so much more. Start a free 30-day trial today at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only. Separate registration required. $35 order minimum. See walmart.com slash plus for details. Start a free 30-day trial at walmartplus.com. All right. I have too many rewatchable scenes. <laughs> I usually try to keep it between six and eight, and that became impossible with this movie. We'll start with um, the burglar breaking into uh, Furious's house. We get some tension right away. The two holes through the door, yeah. and then the cop showing up, and all of a sudden the tension in the movie does this yeah and it's like oh we're off now i think the biggest misconception with this movie is there's like a lot of violence there's not a lot of violence in this movie there's a lot of tension though there's a lot of like what the fuck is going to happen mm. and that's one of the first scenes where it's like, like oh. you get the dude creeping and it's great camera work in this because they're not filming the person that's that's breaking into the house they're filming the mirrors on the floor they're filming the um with the bathtub yeah and it's just building suspense and then when you see uh the 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 bathtub is just like drip of water and water the whole scene. It's so much suspense. And that's the start of it. Next one. You want to go see a dead body? Rick, why you have to bring that ball? I ain't saying nothing if it get took. Y'all want to see a dead body? Yeah. Unabashed Stand By Me homage where they had the producer from Stand By Me working for the movie. Singleton loved it. And it's the four guys just like in there and they go off and only in this time they only have to go like five feet and there's the dead body. Can I ask a quick question for the table about that? So when Kendrick does the you want to see a dead body line, do you think he's overtly referencing Boys in the Hood or Stand By Me? Shut up. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Although I wouldn't be surprised if Kendrick was a big Stand By Me fan. I don't that's know. A I cultural, think it's a fair question. That's a cultured brother right there. But I, I'm 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 going to go with Boys in the Hood. Stolen football. I appreciate that the guy threw the football back. I just but okay. see that but and Ricky that, dropped really, it. That, but that he dropped that it. That was the point though. That, that was a very important. Can I scene. do that? This is going to be one of my nitpicks. Can I do this now? Was young Ricky a good enough athlete? <laughs> I, I never. <laughs> he kept that. Like he had a dream he though. He kept that. I didn't like his throwing motion, and he dropped the pass. His, I, don't, his I tape didn't feel like though. he was. He, he, he was. I have burst, his burst was incredible. But that was later. Later, Ricky. I'm saying young ten year old Ricky. I don't feel like they cast that one correctly. I don't. I don't really have. You guys can look at my paper. I don't really have any overacting scenes, and it's just the the. This is question marks, but I, I think one overacting scene. I'm sorry, we're going switching. But Did when, you switch when dude, categories. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But if you rules. brought it up. You brought it up. We'll get to it. I just anyway. He he goes, little man. 
Kutch. That's probably an over. I, I'm gonna no, be that was kidding. not a great one. Right, that was not a great but one. I, I mean, can I say something real quick? That's one of the most important scenes in the movie. It is. It is. And w- w- one reason why is because, so, in that scene, number one, Doughboy can see the street. Ricky can't. Doughboy says, hey, somebody gonna take that ball. Leave the ball at home. Mm. Doughboy is brave to the point he loves his brother, but he he thinks he's soft. All of that stuff is coming back, right? But also in the in in the guys who stole the football. Yo, every time I watch a movie and some dudes on the block just completely fuck over a kid like that, I always go, not true. Because there's gonna be some one of those guys yep. that's gonna be like, hey man, yo, give him his ball back. Like I've never seen it to where it's been, and it, and it it's dehumanizing. It makes it makes people look like they run in packs and they're out to exploit and hurt people every single time. There's gonna be somebody that tries to take your ball. Yeah, there definitely will be. But if it's a if it's enough dudes, somebody's gonna be like, "Hey man, give him his ball back." It's, like like seriously, like okay, you had your fun, give him his ball back. All right, y'all, peace out, get out of here. And like when you watch the movie, you think, and you see the guy the whole time he's peeping it. You think, there you go. Yep. These are human beings. That like are in is and it just it's just a a little small thing that only somebody with John's experience would like would would add to the movie. Also, bro, who 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 said who gave him back the ball? You can kind of see that, right? Like he, you referenced it just now of him looking and like, damn, this is fucked up. What's going on? But you also be like, yo, man, that dude could have been Ricky. He probably could have had those dreams. It just didn't work out for him, right? Yeah. And you see that in that movie. Take you that see that where ball. he's like, yo, give me the. And he's also an OG in the thing. Like, give me the fucking ball back yeah. or go do it. And that was a very humanizing scene. Also, it establishes a lot of things that going into that um, setting, it 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 shows the divide between Ricky and Doughboy that, that's bigger than them because the mom clearly favors Doughboy. Mm. Clearly, mm-hmm. I mean, I have Doughboy. Clearly favors Ricky. Yeah. And is always like shitting on Doughboy and he internalizes that, internalizes that. But Ricky is still his little brother. He loves fight his brother. For him. Yeah. And you see that and they, they come back around to that at the end of the movie. You know, Sean was the guy who stole everybody's ball. That's just not true. I can tell. That's <laughs> yeah, just absolutely not true. Yeah, he, fact, stole, he stole always, the ball. Oh, I sincerely mean this. I was the guy who was like, give that kid his ball back. Mm. I literally was that dude. That's great. So, how many of your homies was jacking kids for their ball? I will admit it's Long Island. Some bullies. Come on. time with some bullies. Next rewatchable scene. We're not even close to being done. The father son fishing scene. Any fool with a dick can make a baby, but only a real man can raise his children. I wasn't but 17 when your mother was pregnant with you. All of my friends was dropping out of high school, hanging out on corners in front of liquor stores, getting drunk, getting high. Some of them was robbing people. Some of them was even killing people. Fishburne's just dropping gems. It's too good. Any fool with a dick could make a baby, but only a man could raise his children. It's just great. That wasn't, that Drive home, yeah. leaving the <laughs> ooh child song. It's, all of it's great. Yeah. Uh, the barbecue scene, mm. yeah. which does a lot of stuff in five minutes. Yeah. Because we have to like. That's the first like, time we're in the. We're in the right. present. Yeah. yeah. And he sees Ice Cube and it's clear. It's like, oh, these two. But it doesn't seem like they're as close as they were. Because he like, spent hey, so much happened? time in jail. And then they do yeah. the jail reveal. Mm-hmm. But they do it all in a way that's not like he was in jail. That's why they. It's just really. I love really the smart. party scenes when you the establishment party scenes, right? Where 
seven different stories are happening at once, right? We, we, inter- we get introduced, what, 15 characters in yeah. five minutes? Mm-hmm. We get introduced to Nia Long, which is, makes that the best scene. <laughs> yeah. And Regina King's. Regina King's. Throwing thro- 98. You, She's coming in hot. I just love in this, I love when you talk about Regina King. I it This movie is a reminder of how much I love women from L.A., specifically black women from L.A. You see different types. You see, you see, uh, Nia Long, who was about to, you know, it's just of I don't I don't even want to say of reverence, but then you also see Regina Regina King, who's you know the ratchet around the gray girl. I love her just as much, and I just I love how diversified. And you see Yo Yo in the back. You see them all chilling. Like Yo-Yo. this looks like a party camera. that I want to go to. This it, is it Logan looks- pushing for a poetic justice rewatchables <laughs> right now. Oh, we here, we here. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of those characters come back too. A lot yep. of people come back. The USC recruiting visit is another scene that does a lot in a short amount of time. What are you interested in beside playing ball? Like, what you mean? I mean, what would you want to major in? What kind of degree would you like to pursue? I'm just asking because you know there's a strong possibility that you won't go into the NFL after college. Just a fact. It happens. Yeah, I heard that before. Well... Actually, I was thinking about majoring in business. See, I got this friend named Trey who's always talking about going into business and all. Plus, I like computers. Maybe I could do that. What do you think? Young brother, I think you can do anything you put your mind to. And the actor is actually good. Some of his, as he's kind of solving things, I have him coming up and recasting couches. I have a better idea for an actor for this, but he's, you can see him just kind of processing, like, Oh, ooh! Also, oh, you one have a of the kid. Things, oh, on that story, on that uh, scene, if I remember correctly, those are real helicopters. And then he's yeah. just like, really, just like when the recruiter is looking up. That jumped and, out to me. And, watching that, it and he's like, he's looking up and seeing and that. It made it so organic. And the there was always and the guys on the port. You got five guys on the and porch. bro's like, what? Yo, I want, get I'm, out of his way! Like, let me get a. <laughs> or when when Del Boy's like, stop fucking motherfucking cursing all the motherfucking time. Yeah, yeah. My mama's in here, and then the dude is like, yo, I want a scholarship, and he's really sincere. Like, bro, I really want to get out of my circumstance. Give me a scholarship. I play baseball. And this guy, he's not scared of these guys. No. He's not scared of them. He he just gets it. It's like, hey, uh, do you have a scholarship? Do you want a scholarship? What do you do? You know, it's not like he's like, <laughs> I'm in the right. hood. He, he, like, he's not scared of them. He he recognizes them. Bro, he drove up he, like yeah. it was a drive. I was like, no, I'm yeah. here. I'm yeah, here. He, he recognizes them. He just got to, he's got to get inside to get the player. This is probably not the first time he's ever, he's ever visited a home like that. What do you I think want- of the recruiting tape, Sean? I mean, incredible. Shades of Dane Tomlinson. I mean, he just has the total package. He's got the got the do you size, think, got the speed. Do you think they use like a real... I'm trying to... I, I thought I you were going to have something for me. I was like, is that Barry Sanders? I like, thought I, you were going to have something for I, me. Because I, I was thinking late 80s, it had to... But I, I couldn't find it. I looked. I have a question, though. Ricky wore number five. And we all know the significance of number five at, at USC. Oh, did Reggie Bush did wear Reggie, five I, for I don't know. I'm, this no, is a question. Again, you. this is unanswerable question. Sorry. Right. Right. You're, 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 you're out of pocket I'm going to be honest with you. Parts of me thinks that maybe Reggie's childhood didn't include boys in the hood. Probably not. What a recruiting pitch for USC, though, right? Like, right. like every kid now wants a USC rookie jersey. I got to say, there lots of movies have had really good recruiting visit scenes. Like, there's a good one in All the Right Moves. Yeah. When they go to see... Tom Cruise before he gets kicked off the team and the guy's like, eh, with the school and and Tom Cruise is going basically, 
Yeah, I don't know if your school's good enough for me, but, but thanks for your time. And the guy's like, okay. Yo, and hood movies, Georgetown and USC for private schools get a lot of hood love. Like, yeah, get a lot. Well, Georgetown for obvious above reasons, because that was yeah, school in the 80s. Thompson, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, above yeah. the rim. We have not done that one yet. Uh, more rewatchable scenes. Uh, the the scene on the lot, Furious talking about keeping black neighborhoods black. They want us to kill ourselves. Does that whole model? Gentrification. Really First good. time I ever heard the term. Same. Yep. It's called gentrification. It's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. Huh? You listening? Yeah. To bring the property value down. They can buy the land at a lower price. Then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. Now, what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything, black. Black-owned with black money. Just like the Jews, the Italians, the Mexicans, and the Koreans do. Ain't nobody from outside bringing down the property value. It's these folks shooting each other and selling that crack rock and shit. Well, how you think the crack rock gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. But we are not the people who are flying and floating that shit in here. I know every time you turn on the TV, that's what you see. Black oh, people yeah. selling the rock, right. pushing the rock, yeah. pushing the rock. Yeah, I know. But that wasn't a problem as long as it was here. Wasn't a problem until it was in Iowa, and it showed up on Wall Street where there are hardly any black people. Now, if you want to talk about uh, guns, why is it that there's a gun shop on almost every corner in this community? Why? Tell you why. For the same reason that there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. Why? They want us to kill ourselves. You go out to Beverly Hills, you don't see that shit. But they want us to kill ourselves. Yeah, the best way you can destroy a people, you take away their ability to reproduce themselves. And also, like, first time I ever back, heard going back from when we were talking about how we, you know, seen this movie as adults, basically, you know, I'm from the Bay, which is probably the ground center, uh, ground zero for gentrification in all of America right now. At Williamsburg as well. But seeing that gentrification scene now, like, really, really fucked with me when I watched this recently. Because I'm just like, this is... Maybe what age the worst, right? Like what age the worst, what age the best? That justification scene was really, really, especially in a place like Compton, it was really like fucked up to watch again. Logan, you are in every category throughout this entire. I like first it. He's category. not calling him between the lines. He's fine. Um, we locked in, Sean. <laughs> was that was that the Oscars clip that that Fishburne never got to show at the Oscars? To your point, that's before, probably that one, right? It, probably, but honestly, with a different actor, that scene is kind of bad. Like it, yeah. it is actually very didactic. It is very essayistic. But he simultaneously is way ahead of the curve culturally on that conversation because right around, I want to say like early 2000s is when that becomes a huge talking point in New York because New York City, Brooklyn starts to get f filled up with hipsters that look like me and they're pushing people out of their own communities after they spent 30 years running the value of those properties down. So he's ahead of the curve, but there are parts of the movie that no. do feel like a guy who just graduated from college wrote a movie. It's, to be honest with you, if I'm keeping it all the way gangster, that scene is very heavy-handed. And it's, it's you know, there's some proselytizing that's, that's going on there, and there's, like, there's some fucking... Like, that is... that is The movie does get... At a certain point, you have something to say. The movie does get preachy. And the but reason... But that's why Fishburne's so important. Fishburne, he, he makes it work. Man, but if that's the wrong actor, that's a bad scene. It makes it work, but that type of... That doesn't... That's not going to happen. Like, you're not going to roll up 
and and start sitting in front of it. Eight, eight people. Somebody eight, eight, people yeah. were, eight, eight people were, and we're going to now have an impromptu community meeting. Yeah. And then the old man comes and over. The old man yeah. comes over, the old man oh, representing sorry, the older generation. Hold on. That is not an old man. That is Whitman Mayo. That's great. <laughs> Put some respect on his name. Well, that was Grady. Grady. That's Grady. I thought you were going to a comedy legend. Logan doesn't know that show. You don't know San Francisco? What are you talking about? I know San Francisco. I'm speaking sure. I'm grandparents. I'm speaking. Damn, grandparents from San Francisco. But no, so Grady was a legend. And to be real with you, there are a couple of different the the cop the black cop is a hard character to watch at this point. Mm. I mean, it, it's it he I get that there are guys like that, but he literally says that's why I took this job so I could fuck. And that's the whole not because oh they just want to be bullied. So you know there are a couple of points in there. It's not always perfect, but you know it worked because I watched Fishburne. More rewatchables. The uh, Ricky gets bumped immediately followed by. Gunshots in the air, scrambling, yeah, and man, then train Ricky gets stopped by the cops, which has obviously um, in the last two years has become um, even more of a poignant scene. Not that it wasn't back then. Bill, you, you dropped a couple of octaves right there, bro. Yeah. Bill, Bill, Bill. Bill was that like harrowing. It's a very serious and a very serious octaves. episode of The Wing Girl. <laughs> Rewatchables. Bill Simmons talks about. No, like, he, by the way, Cuba was a good actor. Yeah. I think he got pigeonholed by the Jerry Maguire Show Me the Money. I'm kind of and surprised. then he was kind of like he became like a character of himself. But I think he's really good in this movie. I'm surprised you wanted to do so much Fishburne at the top as opposed to Cuba because this is this is really Cuba's movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And he became a pretty major star and he's had a very odd last 10 years. And just proceeded to make the worst decisions that you could possibly make yeah. after that. Like after he, OJ, he was... Like, he, 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 I feel like even that was coming, but I'm just talking about the fucking kangaroo movie with uh with Crocodile Dundee. What's that joint? The Kangaroo Jack? Was was that was like he made him he made a movie with Crocodile Dundee or somebody yeah, I like fell that? Apart with what dreams may come with Robin Williams. That was when I know, but like flipped. but Jerry Maguire, like he just he just I think he tried there was Judgment Night and there was a, a couple of movies in there where I think he went for it. And yeah. he should have stayed here in this on this wavelength for like a few a, good men, cameo. Cameo on a few good men. I think I think Snow Dogs is when it really Snow comes. Dog Snow Dogs. Really, yeah. really, but that he was, was fantastic as Rod Tidwell. He was fantastic oh, amazing. as yeah. Rod Tidwell. Incredible. Fantastic. But he made some pretty poor decisions in his I career. think Rod Tidwell. Radio. I still believe it's okay. the greatest sports movie character of an actual athlete. The greatest creation, Rod Tidwell. Explain. I don't understand. Athlete in a movie. Uh-huh. I think it's the best, most realistic, best one. Just everything. I think it brings the most to the table. Mm. Rod Tidwell versus any other fake athlete in a movie. I if you're wonder, saying like Apollo Creed, all these other oh, could a pretend athletes. writer director get away with writing Rod Tidwell now is interesting. No, I don't think so. Because, no, that's yeah, that's fair. Because he's a caricature of a black athlete. But at the time, it felt like it was right on time for that. The sort of the diva, but was he a character though? Because they did, they it died some stuff though. I I I felt, I I felt, and I felt like he. Think about the era. We're in the above the rim, yeah, the program era of people in sports movies. That was actually a real character. I I felt like he kind of ran Jerry a little bit though. I feel like (laughs) when he told her like, "Say you love black people." Say you love black people. I felt like I felt like he ran Jerry a little bit. I don't think people would have. I wouldn't have no problem with it. I felt like he kind of Jerry. He had. I think can you Broke can you down. write the diva wide receiver I don't think so. is, is the nah, is the challenge. Not. Yeah, maybe not. On the other no. hand, reunion with Regina King. He's a family man in that movie. There are part, he's a nuanced character for sure. Yeah. I love Rod kissing Tidwell. his babies, yeah. loving his yeah. you know the whole nine. How dare you besmirch Rod Tidwell? <laughs> 
Uh, Cuba this, was a great actor. It's weird what happened to him. He was a really great screen persona. And by the way, he's like he was. He popped up in American Gangster as Nicky Barnes for like five minutes, and I remember looking at him. I'm like, look at him go from being all hedonistic and laughing and all of that to sinister and that. I'm like, this guy can act. Like this guy I can act. He was good in the OJ miniseries. He was great. Yeah, in the yeah, OJ yeah. like this. This I guy like can it. act. He Direct, just, directed he just, by John Singleton. Yeah, he just he just. Took some bad roles, made some bad decisions. Yeah. I have four rewatchable scenes left, but it's basically the last 20 minutes of the movie. I hesitate to call Ricky Get Shot a rewatchable it is, scene, I mean, but it is a rewatchable scene because if you're flipping channels and it's going to be the last 30 minutes of Boys in the Hood, you're probably going to well, watch. The Ricky scene, when I go, talk about tension, it's all building up to that crescendo moment, right? Where you, where the guy, they bump into the guy and then you see the dude in the red hat and you're not really sure and he winds up taking a fucking shotgun and shooting Ricky. Um, it's the signature scene and it, it's just, that's what every, the whole movie builds up to that scene and that's... Uh, Don't nitpick it yet. Yeah. We're, it's I'm coming later. To. Okay. Saddest movie deaths of all time. I didn't want, I didn't want to rank these. These are, I just made a list. Ricky, Paul Walker, Fast Seven. I'm counting it, even though his character didn't totally die. That's one <laughs> of the that saddest... number two? No, <laughs> I, I didn't. I'm not ranking these. Fredo, Deborah not, Winger not, in terms of endearment. Fredo, huh? Champ, John Voight. Ooh, bad. Goose and Top Gun. Tough. Sonny Corleone. Mickey, Rocky's trainer in Rocky Three. Uh-huh. Tony Stark, I did that one for you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Marley. Marley and me. If you love <laughs> right, dogs. Right. Uh, some people have Mufasa in here from Lion King. Mufasa. I don't I don't personally count cartoon characters Listen, when my bro, saddest Y'all wasn't rankings. outside. None of y'all was outside in these Lion King streets. <laughs> like, how, you talking about? how dare you? <laughs> yeah, how dare you? you guys weren't a you kid were a doing baby. it. I was like, 11. We actually going I don't here. count cartoons. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then uh, Apollo Creed. Oh, you're missing one. Give me one. G-Baby, Harbaugh. Oh, how did oh, I miss like, like, oh my you god, god, bro! Like, G- I, 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 I shed in real tears like, with G Baby. Like that, that's Keanu's greatest five minutes of his career. I'll be honest with you, bro. G Baby speech, you guys. Know, like, like, I don't know if that would have come out. Like, it, I don't know if that making us look at that. That shit was fucked. Yeah, like that was terrible, bro. <laughs> yeah. like, like, I'm telling you, man. When I think about, I get angry when I think about that. Like, that was terrible. Like, oh, it's, it's, the drama's over. It's time to go. This little dude got a fucking hole in him. And they showed it. It's like they, they showed, showed him get popped in. They showed a kid with a hole in them. A child. Like that, that one was that. I'm getting angry. You're right. That might have been the most shocking movie death of <laughs> Bro, all time. Bro, it's fucking insane. The memification of, of it now, like it's on it's all on Twitter right. now, and you see like the kid. But no, bro. Even when I see the memes, I'm like. Fuck whoever killed G Baby. Yeah, bro. I remember I did a tweet sorry, about it sorry. once, and it was just I was like, "Why did they kill G Baby?" It was just like a random, and it was just streams of replies of outraged people. Because the movie matters, and Hardball is not good. Y'all are on a Hardball gold-plated yacht to Hardball Island. Fair, all right. Fair. Oh, oh, okay. Anyway, I, I, one more thing. One more thing. Since the movie matters, and this one affected me as a kid, Julia Roberts still Magnolias. Hmm. Good one. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I was also thinking. A late breaking one is Howard at the end of Uncut Gems is one that you were just like, oh, oh god, damn it. that was inevitable though. Like I was not me. I didn't know that was coming. I was like, no, no. When he got killed, I was like, thank you. I was one like, fuck, oh, he oh deserves this. Jesus shit. Christ, yeah, bro. Bro. sorry, bro. He's been fucking over so many people. He's been fucking up. Sorry, giving Logan the Dion Waiters award. Ricky getting shot. We're gonna go into it later. Nitpicks. I really want to break it down. Furious stops Trey. Doughboy's Revenge, and then the ending. 
are my last three. Uh, what is the most rewatchable scene for you, Sean Fantasy? It's hard because uh, the the Ricky getting shot scene is definitely one of the most affecting movies to this day, no matter how many times you watch it. There's very few movies, and I, you, guys, you guys know I watch a lot of movies, still tear up every time it happens, which is incredible, the, the power of that movie. But I don't want to watch it a lot. I do want to yeah. watch the barbecue. You know, I do want to watch you go to Ricky the getting recruited. Yeah. yeah. You want to go to the barbecue. You want to play? Am I invited is the question. <laughs> that is really what's most important here. Yeah. Vibe. I think you're in. I also love the barbecue scene. <laughs> I think you're good. <laughs> I, uh, I'm in for the barbecue and the ending are my two favorites. Okay. Barbecue and the ending are my two favorites. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I shouldn't like this. I like the revenge ride. Yes. Mm. Like, it, it, like the, the revenge ride, first of all, from him getting out, and just that's the most rewatchable scene because that is some powerful filmmaking. Like Do, like Doughboy actually gives the last part of his humanity to his revenge. That guy's on the ground. Guy turns around. I didn't do it. Doughboy hesitates, and then it's like, and then boom, boom, boom. It's over. That was it. Like that scene right there. That scene shows how. Men like become monsters. There was pain that was driving them to go do that. They were, they felt yeah. morally in the right. And really, when you're watching the movie, this is how great this film is. When you're watching the movie, you want them to get those guys. Of course, it's a western. Yeah, yeah. like you, you want them to get those guys. When really, it's all part of the same cyclical dysfunction that ends up with everybody you know losing. Wild. And so, like I, when I watch that, every time I think. Well, damn, like this is what the movie's about. This is the problem that has to be solved for, for the movie to for 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 the, the questions to be answered for this movie to mean something. Yeah, what's wild is this is like when I say that it humanizes black folks in a way, it's like, bro, you see how someone be can turn into this monster because Doughboy winds up being turned into a monster at the end, but Trey is about to be that. You see he, him he when just he walks, and he's about to go. He's he's about to go to college. He's about to go to what is he going to Morehouse? He's going to one of those Morehouse. Atlanta schools, right? He's about to get out, but even then, he's and he knows he's about to get out. He's like, "Fuck that! I'm about to go avenge the death of my friend who died in my fucking arms." Right? Yeah. And you see, and I'm like even getting emotional with this, but you see that happen, mm -hmm. um, and you know. It really just humanizes that. And, and you just see like, yo, man, these are just folks just trying to figure shit out. Kids, really. Kids just trying to figure yeah. shit out. Yeah. It's crazy. I think one of the reasons this movie is so brilliant, and I think it's one of the best movies the last 30 years, it sets up that moment when he comes back and Fishburne, and he's playing with the balls and he's waiting and he's like, he's basically his work's done. He's like, I've, I've trained my son for the last 17 years for this moment right here to make the right choice. I don't know if he made it or not. And then he comes back, but he never tells him what happened. Yeah. And Fishburne just speak. closes the door. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's, I thought that was a really smart decision. There's actually in the research, the studio gave him two notes. One was to add a fistfight between Doughboy and Ricky right before the climax, mm. which he, he did that. The other one was when he sees his dad at the end, they wanted a much more explicit reconciliation here's what happened big hug they didn't and singleton's it. like fuck that we're not doing it yeah. he stuck to his guns right that was a good decision good that decision was, yeah, and actually a good decision to have the fight between doughboy and ricky too because i actually think it helps that on top of everything else doughboy has the regret of that was my last the thing moment is though they weren't guy. fighting each other in that way they were fighting all the that's what goes back to the mom thing right yep. and and i don't know how she does a different job she's a single mother but like 
you see, like, he's fighting, like, damn, bro, I just want to be accepted. Like, Doughboy's fighting, like, bro, I just want to be accepted, bro. And and Ricky is a symbol of that. He loves Ricky, obviously. Man, Doe was just popping some shit. There was no reason for him to fight that boy. Like, Doe, this is your, your older <laughs> brother being a dick. He said, fuck you, let mm-hmm. it go. Show why you go get the shit. Seeing my wife now, right? Shit. Might as well be. Y'all got a family and shit. Tech mobile playing motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck you, man. Why don't you go store with me? Sure, man. Let's do it. What? Nigga, don't fuck me. Fuck your wife. That's why you got a baby now. Hey, man, you big on my face, all right? What's up with Brandon? Hey, you a punk, man. Hey, yo, yo, y'all, wait a minute. Wait a minute, hey. But that scene does something so much more powerful because the, one of the crazy things about the death scene with Ricky is usually in these movies, somebody gets shot and you see them get shot and that's it. They carry the body all the way back to the house and they put him, the body on the couch. Knowing, it's de- knowing he's dead. Knowing he's dead. And give the crying the kid blaming the death on Doughboy in the room. After she hugs him. Right after that is so crushing. And you know, you know Doughboy obviously has a million things going through his head. He's thinking about the fight that they just had, the final moments that they had together. And then what part he did or did not play and what part, how much of a, of this cycle is he a part of really? That that choice to show that moment is cr- is crazy. It hurts to watch it even now. Yeah. It's painful. Uh, we have more categories when we take a break. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUV. Everything's better on a bigger screen, right? I mean, I remember seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark on a big screen and feeling like my life had just changed. People felt that way about Oppenheimer recently. Sometimes you need to see stuff on the big screen. That's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3 inch touchscreen infotainment system with Google Maps Assistant and more right there. You can really see what's up ahead and you don't even need to connect your phone. Find your new adventure with a Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Rogue Pathfinder and Armada SUVs at NissanUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Hey there. You know that Hulu has movies, right? Well, if you didn't, we're here to tell you, Hulu has movies. Hulu has acclaimed movies like All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Suncoast, starring Woody Harrelson and Laura Linney. And Cat Person with Amelia Jones and Nicholas Braun. They even have a bunch of movies that we've already done on the rewatchables. So head on over to Hulu if you like movies, because you guessed it, Hulu has movies. What's age the best? I really like the young... I like when they go back in time in movies and I like the Trey and his young buddies. I mm-hmm. like the whole thing. Yeah. So pleasure. I like the Stand By Me shadow, especially at the end when when uh, Doughboy fades away, which is a direct River Phoenix homage mm. to Stand By Me. Um, the use of the helicopters, I'd never seen that done in a movie like that before. And it almost becomes a character in the movie. It was kind of inevitable because it was always there no matter what. Yeah. Like they couldn't control a helicopter going right. over there. Yeah. It's just, it's this added, I can't even explain it. Um, I mean, it's real. We live in LA. We hear it every day mm-hmm. now, but it was different that back then, obviously over South Central. Which I didn't know that was a thing until I came out here. And then it was like, did you, you hear it all the time. They had it up in the it's bay authentic. too. And it was like, that was one of the things that made it familiar in a weird mm. way. I don't know if we got helicopters in the budget in Baton Rouge. I don't know. <laughs> like, like, I'm sure we do. Jeeps. But like, yeah, but I don't know if we got the helicopters, but I never you guys would have those swamp boats though. Yeah, swamp boat, air boats. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, going around. Um, Morewood's age the best. The In the opening scene with the kids, the Reagan Bush poster with the bullet holes in it. Yeah. It's a, it's a little overt, but I kind of like, I liked it. It right. was, 
I could see him writing that in college and being like, yeah, and this ring, but yeah, it's a yeah. good one. Um, this was one of the first things I remember from a pop culture standpoint that pushed that the SATs were culturally biased. I don't know first if I, I ever saw heard that in a movie or this, a TV show before. And then Shaq and Blue Chips. That's, right. That's the Mount Rushmore. Those are the of, two. The SATs are culturally biased. The uh, the blue Volkswagen convertible is fantastic. I just wanted to point that out. The trays, I'm so tired of this shit meltdown. is really good. I just have Angela Bassett as an alien because she doesn't look really any different than she does now in this I have a, movie. I have a she looks one. better. I have yeah, a similar I one. Like, I like, she, like, she, she looks... No, and by the way, I'm not saying that she didn't look great in this movie. I'm saying she looks better. Yeah. She looks... Amazing. She looks better it's now. Like a 40-year run of her just being a smoke <laughs> show, and I don't understand right. also, She doesn't age. What is going on? I have this in my notes. It's along the same lines. Nia Long, same thing. Nia mm, Long. Looks very similar. Yeah. Amaz- looks amazing. Uh, John Singleton's mailman cameo has aged well. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even, even know it the first, first time I realized I, I didn't realize that until the director's yeah. commentary on the DVD. Yeah. I didn't even know that was him. It's a little Alfred Hitchcock homage, you M. know. Exactly. Also, Spike Lee, you know too? he got that. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, Spike Lee cameo. That's right. Great closing credit song. Whole soundtrack. South Central. Amazing. Two shorts in this song in this movie too, so that aged really well. And uh, the other stuff we mentioned, the father son angles, and all the other stuff we mentioned. Anything else for what's age the best for you guys? Mm. Age the worst or age the best? Age the best. Okay. Some things. Nah. Do you want to ha- have an Ice Cube conversation now? I was going to do it for Apex Mountain. Okay. Because putting him in context at this time. Why don't, let's do that. We'll do 1991 uh, Ice Cube. I mean, Singleton I, we, identifying him to do this is crazy. Can we it's just a, say one thing? Like, that age wasn't a good right into Ice Cube. It's ambition, bro. That that really aged the best because John Singleton was this intern at, at our Arsenio Hall show. Security. At, security. security. But can you imagine like an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid telling Ice Cube... NWA Ice Cube, y'all got a movie for you, bro. I'm going to do this. And Ice Cube's like, all right. And then he, every time he sees him, y'all, I got a movie for you, bro. And then to the point where one of the nights um, he sees Ice Cube, Ice Cube gives John Singleton a ride back to his dorm at USC. That's how persistence, I'll say persistence aged well, aged the best. That's a his. good trait for a director. Give us the 91 Ice Cube. He's left NWA. He's about to start basically waging war on NWA and Jerry Heller on record. He just wraps his first album um, with the Bomb Squad, and then he's starting up his second album, Death Certificate, which is him basically fully embracing West Coast sound, funk, G-rap. And he's probably the single most provocative musician in America at this time, for good and for ill. Some of those songs are crazy and inspirational and have aged beautifully, and some of those songs have a lot of fucked up stuff in them right now. But a genuinely singular artist and a person, it was it was like Elvis Presley getting plucked to appear in movies. The idea that somebody was like, Ice Cube has to be in American movies now and is now literally one of the 35 or 40 most successful movie stars of the last 30 years. <laughs> See, and, and, and to, uh, that's crazy. To, to that point, it's like, this was, this was a rare moment. Like, people don't get the moment that, that Cube got with this movie. This was a rare moment. A rare moment to completely redefine and then define yourself at the same time. Mm. It's a redefinition of Ice Cube for us who knew Ice Cube, right? Because we hadn't seen him in this. And then for a lot of America who didn't know Ice Cube yet as a singular entity other than being with NWA, it was a definition of him. And look, to Sean's point, you know, Cube was running around with the nation. Cube was like, you'd answer 
you'd ask Cube a question at that time and you wouldn't know who the fucking answer would offend, right? But this kind of put him in front of the Academy. This put him on the map as a movie star. It's one of the most impactful, consequential debut performances of anyone ever mm. in terms of, hey, now this dude is out here. Because like, look, a couple of years after this, I mean, I think the glass shield is in the middle of there. Yep. So you got a couple of things. But after this, I mean, we get to Friday and now he's cuddly. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like this this set up a completely different career trajectory for him. And it was a chance that Singleton took. I remember everybody was talking about that. He just said, I have to have Ice Cube in the movie. And it made the movie more authentic in a way. Didn't but he want to have they, NWA in the movie too? But it just didn't work out because remember, of yeah. because of they they broke up. Right. Remember, he's trying to get Ice Cube in like the late 80s, like, yo, bro, I'm in college, but I got something for you. Yeah. And they just happened to break up. Mm. There's a whole legacy of musicians getting thrown in movies. And this works out about as well as it could have worked out. It's We've seen this happen badly all over the place in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. I mean, it helped because he was playing an NWA member. Like, he was playing... He still Martin. brought... He still nailed it that also role. also helped though. that he could act. Yeah, he yeah. nailed that. I mean, he nailed that, that he could act like, And he was like so... He like, the fact... This is yeah. a compliment. He was at the, the beginning of his acting career. So, he was yeah. very raw. But right. I think this was his best performance. What's age the worst... Beepers, just always weird to see beepers now in a movie. Like, whoa, yeah. a beeper. Uh, Van mentioned the haircuts. I don't love the just me and you montage with Trey and his girlfriend. It's just it. clumsy. It's kind of all over the place. It's yeah. it's the corniest part of the Great whole movie. Great song, though. Great song. Um, I don't personally, this is a personal thing, I don't love the closing credits of Trey went to Morehouse and then... I think we could have ended with Ice Cube just fading, and I think that could have been the end of the movie. I, I don't know, know if you need the other stuff. I think I, I liked it. I really did. I mean, maybe it's because it's all I know of that. I don't know another way, but I think that was just really, really good. At how I resent the fact that I resent the fact that they had to leave us with the fact that Doughboy got got two weeks later. I wish I didn't have to know that because like, I, I mean that. Like, I've always resented that about the movie. We know because he fades into nothing. Like, that's it. I think the movie just ends right there, and that's it. It's in stark contrast to the way that Do the Right Thing ends, too. Singleton opens this movie with the kind of profound statement about how many black men are killed in the city, and that he detail he sets up what this movie is going to be very clearly. But then at the end of the movie, he uses it to pull the narrative further along. Mm -hmm. And at the end of Do the Right Thing, it's very clearly Malcolm and Martin and the two ways of seeing progress— and then he's he's hitting you over the head with the message, not with the story of the characters. And the message is ultimately more important than the story of the characters in this space and in Do the Right Thing. So it's just, they're, they're, they're contrasting each other. I would like to point one thing out. That we're not looking at a singular epidemic of black-on-black -black crime. The overwhelming majority of people who are murdered are murdered with, by people within their same community. All right? The only thing that really didn't age well at all was the narrative of the specific narrative of black on black crime as if we it's proximity. So just I know I know that that was the thing in the early 90s. Like it was like black on black. It's it's proximity it has nothing to do with race or even of culture. It's who's around you. That's who you commit crimes against. Mm. That's who commits crimes against you. So, people, I, think, I think the gentrification speech is meant to put some nuance on that. That's yeah. when he's like, "Why are there gun stores on every corner? Why are there liquor stores on every corner?" There's in these intentionality to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Any other what's age worse for you guys? Um, I would say police brutality. Um, Larry Fishburne. 
Not 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 the actor. Damn. The name Larry Fishburne. <laughs> oh, that's oh, oh, that's a good one. That's that's good. Good. That's yeah, good. it's that's actually really good. Well. Um, he went to Lawrence. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about that in a with, bit. With yeah, Lawrence with a U. <laughs> um, Very famous name. Other people, other great performers have used the Fishburne name. Yeah, casting with us. I was say Lawrence Olivier, but you went the other Fishburne. All right. <laughs> Casting what ifs. This was a doozy. Will Smith offered the role of Trey. Decided Please to do no, Fresh nah. Prince of Bel-Air instead. He'd have knocked that shit. There's a hundred versions of movies Will should have made instead of the stupid movie he made. There's so many versions of I, this. He, I thought he would have he mashed this shit. You think you he would have? Yeah. He, maybe a little too tall, but like, because you're towering over everybody, but... Will early Will like six degrees of separation? Will you know good what actor. I would have liked good to actor. see Will in? Not Trey. I would have liked to see him. That would have been cool to see him as Ricky, tall yeah. guy. Mm. Maybe he doesn't play football. He plays basketball. Right. What? Not going to USC? Goes to UCLA or something like or that. Or tight killed. end, tight or end, tight end or something back. like yeah. that. I thought the same thing. If I would have rather have seen him as Ricky, but I, either part would have been great. Yeah. Um, and I think he could have done it. I think at that point is you said six degrees of separation. That's. My favorite Will Smith movie. Probably. He's great. Bad Boys. Yeah. Um, the role of Doughboy was specifically written for Ice Cube. Logan told that story. <laughs> um, the studio cast him and did not know about the NWA thing, which I thought was really funny. That just shows where hip hop was. Interesting. At point. He's a musician. Oh, cool. No, but, they but, have no idea he has this whole. But you understand, like hip hop wasn't it wasn't wasn't what it is now. Right, it's still like in its infancy. It's still like a niche thing. It's still a black thing. Like we fucked with it, but it wasn't not NWA. No, but they were I, no. But what I'm I saying thought is, they known there's about a world the though. Yeah, but there's a world where they don't know NWA. No, I'm sure the but, studio people don't know. Yeah, but that's what they I'm were saying. pretty infamous. The yeah. tea kettle is simmering, like right at this moment. Like yeah. we're right on the verge of this becoming the dominant cultural musical force. But still on the verge, yes, though. Right? On the verge. Still on the verge. And then. Uh, Singleton wanted NWA. You stepped on this category too. Um, but it's my last rewatchable. Guess. Cube, Cube had left NWA already. Singleton had to recast the roles for the Entourage, including the chain snatcher scene where they decided to put the guy who got beaten up. They put an Easy E shirt on him. Yeah, he Jeez. got beat up. So it went all the way around. Easy E went from being in the movie to getting beaten up. All right. Best that guy, aka the Joey Pants Award. I got to give this to the USC recruiter because he's been in a lot of stuff. I never knew his name. His name is John Cothran. John Cothran. I had him too. I got somebody else too. I have one. Yeah. Okay. Give me you got Monster. The guy. The the. Is that who you had? No, I didn't. Monster. Because you see him, just like that dude. You just. I. I don't know his name now, and I honestly had to Google to know that his name was Monster in the movie. Okay, so I got Vontae Sweet. Uh, who? This is this guy pulled off an incredible twofer. And I don't know if anybody else pulled this off. He was in both uh, Miss Society and Boys in the Hood. That's which, a hat Which trick. guy was he? So in Miss Society, he's Sharif. But who is he in Boys in the Hood? He's the guy who takes the ball. Oh. Mm. That's a good one. Like he's the, he's the guy who takes the ball. And those two movies are up against each other that for the title. I think... They both exist in different places for different reasons. Um, and the minutes thing is a completely different argument. But I got Vontae Sweet. Now, Vontae, he he worked a lot, but I but I got him. I got Vontae Sweet. I got one more. Yeah. Jesse Lawrence Ferguson, who plays a black cop. The cop. Who is in Fish State Pittsburgh. 
Mm-hmm. What do you want of them He's rolling sixties? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, that, but that line made me laugh all the time. <laughs> also, all the people in this movie were that guy. Like, there was a moment when Regina King was a that girl. Yeah, yeah. She was. Like, uh, every, so many people in this movie, Morris Chestnut evolved into a bigger star. Regina evolved into a bigger star. Tyra Farrell. Tyra Farrell. Like she. Yes. Yeah, she definitely. And was isn't White Man Can't Jump? Like right after this. Right after. Yeah. Vincent Hannon, give me all you got a word for overacting. Um, you met who did you mention already? For the this? guy with the the guy. Who, oh, that the, the, yeah, he mean goes, guy. He goes, he goes with the. Hey, little man. Yeah, catch. <laughs> it's like. Hey, little man. Catch. Bro, it's definitely the black op. It's it's, a, it's definitely. Can I make the case I for Regina little- King? For Regina what? King, for Regina King at the barbecue, you just finished Juneteenth, and you're gonna say that about <laughs> wow. just for the barbecue, just for the barbecue Whoa. scene. Okay, you don't think she doubted up in the barbecue scene? Uh, We're just B- talking about dialing Bill? up. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying. No, nope. I don't know. Dialing it up. I'm Bill. not saying this. I'm I don't. Not I don't do know if this you, is the proper know. form for me to tell you, but. No, she was not dialing okay. up at all. Nope. All right. <laughs> I know what you're So we're going with the black eye. I understand. <laughs> I've seen her do better work in a scene. No, she was. Now, point. let's be honest. She has. She wasn't two Regina King levels. No. Yeah. I think she was movie. filling out yeah. her. Yeah. Her yeah. stuff. Judd Nelson Award for person who was in a different movie. I give this to the evil cop. I'm not sure what movie that guy was in. <laughs> was he in this movie or was he in like an episode of Starsky and Hutch from 1979? I don't know what was going on with that character. Right. He doesn't just, just he doesn't just hate crime. He hates Africans. Like he just hates the He got hate. his job so he could fucking pull over a Trey and Ricky. Right. That's just weird. It's you just know? weird. Yeah. I, I didn't totally get it. And he started uh, fucking with Trey as a child. Yeah. It's like a whole lifetime. No, 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 no. I feel like he he remember Trey was gonna give him dap when he was a kid. He felt burned. And he got he felt no, it wasn't he was taking whatever he had out on Furious on Trey when oh, he was an adult, is yeah. what I think. He's a little cartoony. A little bit. Deion Waiters Award, our nominees are Evil Cop, who's not gonna win. Angela Bassett, who qualifies. She's only in like three scenes. Yeah. My my guy Whitman Mayo. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say it's his best work. It's not. And then uh, I think the winner is uh, Tyra Farrell. I think she's in three scenes. She's doing a lot of stuff. The range. I love when she's not hitting on Trey, but hit like projectile hitting on no, Trey hitting with on the Furious? dad. Yeah. yeah, like basically like, how's your daddy Yo, doing that whole thing? Furious had a lot of women after him. Remember, because Brandy's mom was like, liked him oh, too. Yeah. Like she, and, and uh, he, Trey, uh, Furious was like, why don't she never call me? Let me tell you something. Furious had it going. It was a joke the way my mom reacted. <laughs> it was a joke. It was the way, it was a sleeveless white t-shirt. It was, it was a, like, it was a whole thing with Larry Bro. at that point. Larry Fishburne. But you know why it's the mom? You know why it's uh, Tyra Farrell? It's because the range. She went from hardened mom to... Hardened wife? To, to like, like she was super vulnerable and terrified when Ricky to got killed. Temptress. To temptress. nervous recruiting visit mom. Nervous. She went into full... Uh, like, uh, sorry to bother you, white voice. During that whole thing, she just she did a lot in the little time that she was on screen. It's, it's a very important character too. It's just like she play. I don't know. Like, the two times I know her is in White Man Can't Jump and and Boys in the Hood, and she plays by and large the same character. Can I can I ask you a quick question about um somebody that I had a very big crush on in this in this movie? Okay, so Alicia Rogers. 
who plays Doughboy's girlfriend. No, excuse me, Ricky's uh, mother's. Yeah. The, the baby mother for Ricky, who is also in, the first time I ever saw her, do you know what movie? Uh, with Kid Play. Class Act. Class Act. She, like, she was she's beautiful. super cute class, in class, class Act. Class Act, she was the shit. And... Those are the only two movies she ever made. She just disappeared. The, you know she what? never did anything ever again. It's like the one in New Jack's New Jack City. The uh, one Tracy Camilla Johnson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. do, do you know, though, that the only time I ever realized that she was in class act was when I was re-watching this movie? I had never put it together. Yeah. I, I knew her from class act. Because, like, by the way, class act is amazing. Huge fan. Love it. <laughs> like, class act is amazing. And then I see her, I'm like, oh, that's the girl from class act. She never acted again. So weird. Yeah. She's good. Yeah. Sean, I'm going to give you the 1992 Best Supporting Actress. Okay. Mercedes Rule won for The Fisher King. Good performance. Great. Great performance. Diane Ladd, Rambling Rose as mother. True Can't story. say I remember seen that Rambling one. Rose. Juliette Lewis in Cape Fear in a performance in a movie that is now a little weird. Kate Nelligan in The Prince of Tides. Okay. Jessica Tandy, Fried Green Tomatoes. I love that movie. I'm going to say Tyra Farrell could have cracked that one in a different <laughs> different world. Because Juliette really Lewis in this one is interesting. It's much, much, much more egregious that Fishburne was not nominated. Oh, 100%. You know, I feel I'm just like saying, if we were going for... one or two more big scenes, maybe she would have gotten yeah. a look. Okay. Um, Nelligan, did not expect to hear that name on this podcast. Recasting Couch. Morgan Freeman as the USC recruiter. Just one scene. Morgan Freeman's like, no. holy shit, Morgan Freeman's in this movie? Joe Clark has Come lost on. his job and now Come he's on. recruiting for SC. Uh, no. Just the Morgan, she's like, oh no, my God, because, it's the Morgan Freeman no. scene for Why? 30 years. Because, like, because, oh, here we go. Morgan's Morgan going to be in the movie. would make it about him. Come on. He would make it about him. He would. I think the thing that's good about this recruiter is he makes it a lot of, he... I know you guys talk about like Eddie Murphy. I don't want to compare these two guys, but you know, I, I heard I heard uh, <laughs> Wesley uh, Morris say that Eddie was very, um, he was just giving in his things. He wasn't. He didn't take over the scene. Yeah. Um, and this guy didn't. He made it about Ricky, which it, it is about Ricky. Like jo <laughs> Joe Clark would have been like, <laughs> like no, yeah, I don't, I I don't want Morgan Freeman. A to lot do that. of Morgan Freeman slander. I like him. Who I like him as a any star? recasting couch? You have anything? I actually thought this movie's really well cast. I was just trying to figure out the USC recruiter. I mean, it's one of the. I went classic... through a whole. Could Sam Jackson have been the USC recruiter? I thought about Sam Jackson too. But you know I think what? He I was thought... too young. I thought Denzel is furious. Does that work? Yeah, I thought it was great. a Denzel part. Yeah. Could Sam Jackson do Furious Styles? Nah. No. Yeah. And nah. not at that point in his career. I thought yeah. maybe like five years it's later. It's so hard to replace people in a movie yeah. where it feels like he discovered like five or six yeah. people. Yeah. And but Denzel could have been Furious. Though. Sure, sure. A um, couple half-assed research things. So they paid 50K to Easy for the rights to Boys in the Hood. Interesting. So oh, wow. Easy so got paid, but then right got the that? shit beaten out of him in the movie or the t-shirt. Uh, yeah, just to use the title, Boys in the Hood, the way it was spelled, everything. Interesting. So, um, 50K. Wow. Another easy space. Did it come up in your research, Logan? Look, uh, yeah, I found Logan, some tidbits for you. How did you miss that? When they remake the Johnny Knoxville movie, <laughs> The Ringer, are we going to get a check <laughs> off of that? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> um, so apparently, because Singleton was so young, he um, relied on Fishburne a lot on the set. And one of the things Fishburne loved to do was have actors improvise because he had done a bunch of Coppola movies at that point. So he became the acting coach for these dudes and taught them how to Which do Coppola a little movies had he done? He had done Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now. Now and what else? Uh, Two by the Heart. Uh, one from the Heart. One from the Heart. I yeah. never saw that. Yeah. 
Two, did he do Two by the Heart? Was my, that also a movie? My Coppola, my co- I, I had a, I don't fuck with him. Oh my, get out of here. Wow. Stop. <laughs> what, what? What are you talking Matt, about? A guy got like, what, three good movies? Lucky? He's got, he's got, he's got three good, Fan. the guy's got three good movies? This Coppola. is like you're declaring war on the rewatchables. Coppola's got three good movies. Shame on you. Three good movies? One, two, and Apocalypse Now. After like that, the conversation, yeah. what about oh, that? conversation, my, my bad, four. <laughs> I, I I ride for almost all of them at this Don't, point. I ride for Bram ride, Stoker's Dracula. I you ride, ride for, for Bram Stoker. You ride for Jack? Yeah, I I, I, I ride. No, I don't ride for Jack. So Magic Johnson. <laughs> I ride for the John Grisham. Magic Johnson movie. only has four good MVP seasons. Tucker, <laughs> <laughs> um, a man in his dream. I ride for that. Wow. Also, there's a lot of cocaine involved. The Outsiders. Um, Rumblefish. Come so, on. Rumblefish sucks. The Outsiders, I'll give you. Singleton, I, I'll give you the when they would have shots in the scenes, he never told the actors, so they were always kind of jumpy. The uh, the, uh, the, jumpy the, the scene when um when they are at Crenshaw. When yeah. the, I mean, you're probably going to tell it, so if you want to no, tell it. No, go ahead. Take it. Logan. Okay, so um when they were doing the scene um when Trey and uh and Ricky, Ricky finished their SATs, apparently during that time they had a... Uh, a threat to the set. Like somebody said, no, nah, I'm about to shoot everybody over here. So what they did was they put two trucks behind all the cameras, the big trucks. And John Singleton wouldn't tell anybody, I think, but, but Cube, all he told Cube, I think, was to drive off if he hears something. And everybody heard gunshots and really thought the people that threatened the set came back to shoot it up. And so that's a, and it only took one take and everybody runs out and that's an organic take and they all filmed it. And great, great, uh, Thing from John Singleton. I feel like he would th- he would get in trouble now in 2021. Oh uh, yeah, like, subjecting people to that yeah, type subject, of trauma. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Ice Cube owns the gold Chevy Impala. The one that is that is it on is it on Van's shirt right now? Is that the yeah. is that the yeah, one? Yeah, there it is. Oh, wow. yeah. Uh Doughboy and his crew were based on the Rolling Sixties. Ferris and his crew were based on the Crenshaw Mafia Bloods. Mm. So um, say that one more time. <laughs> Crenshaw Mafia Bloods? Yeah, there we go. I All right. What did I say the first time? No, you said it right. Let's, Mafia, just, let's move I just on. Stopped, we I paused. Gotta, we're out here in LA. We got to move around. Yeah, we so. got to relax. Um, <laughs> so apparently, this became people know that they're filming this movie mm-hmm. and they know that there's a scene where Ice Cube's going to kill three Bloods at a hamburger stand and they tell the producer, it's not going to be here. That's not happening. If that happens. We're killing. We're killing lots of people. Don't do that. So they have to move, and they film it at Eataburger, which is at the corner of Crenshaw and Stocker. It no longer exists, but is not. Oh, I know exactly. Not anywhere near. Yeah. Not anywhere near where the. So that wound up being a better like scene. This is more space, right? More space. Being a better location. Yeah, that's right down from the, uh, from the mall. You know what that is down there off Crenshaw. The Bloods leader. (laughs) No, it's there's yeah. It's like we're near right down like from the, the fields where it looks like you're in an episode of 24. Well, you would the stalker yeah. comes like off of yeah. La Cienega. Yeah. Waka Flocka did a video at that mall once. So the yeah, Bloods leader is named there. Bone. And he said, uh, he said some 14-year-old kid wanted to earn stripes is gonna bust a cap and ice cube if that scene happens at that burger stand. Wait, wasn't, like, Bone, cool. wasn't Bone the one of the leads in a training day? He was. He wasn't he wasn't one of the leads, but he was one of the guys that like was in the jungle. right? Bone is actually a reputable, very dude. notorious guy because yeah. it was it is Bone that was into it with Suge Knight. Yeah, a couple of years ago when Suge mm. caught his case, so yeah. you know, Bone uh, got a lot of movie was originally called Summer of '84. That makes sense. 
Columbia offered to buy the script for a hundred thousand, but said you can't direct it. Singleton's like, "Fuck you." Huh? He did it. Which over and over again over the course of Hollywood history, if we've ever learned a lesson in the rewatchables, it's don't take the money, but sell out your total vision of how you thought the movie was going to go. Direct your own movie. That's the one thing we've learned. Sean, direct your own movie someday. I uh, I will take that advice to heart. And then uh, Cube said when he read the script, after all the time Singleton badgered him, he said, damn, they're actually going to make a movie about how we grew up. Um, I didn't know it was going to be even interesting enough to be a movie, but the way John captured it, it was like cinematic beauty. And he decided to do it. Everything else we covered. Apex Mountain. One more thing. Go. Um, There's a lot of John Hughes influence in this movie. Mm. The guy who uh, directed Breakfast Club, I think, what was it? Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And it, and you can kind of see that, right? You can kind of see the team. Are you movie fucking aspect. explaining to us who John Hughes is? I'm doing it for the audience, if bro. If I don't come on, I'm doing it for the audience, bro. Like, I, I know you and your motherfucking me. I support it. Like, Fuck, what the fuck? So, wait, 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 hold on real quick. Before we move on. Before we move on. Before we move on. Before we move on. Can I make my point? So, you guys, just real quick. So, you mean to tell me that you guys do maybe the most popular movie podcast in the world? And I'm to believe that the people that are listening to this podcast right now don't know who John Hughes is. Just let me know. Because I'll start explaining. I'll start, I'll start going, hey, Steven Spielberg, you, you know the guy from Jaws. I'll start. Because <laughs> I didn't I didn't qualify Spielberg earlier when we were doing the thing. My bad, Logan. Go ahead. My, my, I just I wanted to the, say. The, the last, hold on, hold on one second. Okay. The last time I did a pod with Van, I told him that my favorite new category of the show is Van Says No. And now my new favorite category of the show is Van Derails Shit to Make Fun of Somebody. That is like, that should be a subcategory. <laughs> hold, on, hold on with Van Lathan. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, John Singleton was heavily influenced <laughs> by John Hughes' films, and you could kind of see it even with that uh, the scene where they go to the, the uh, you know go to Crenshaw, right? You see Ricky with the Letterman jacket on. It's like, hey man, I'm here. It, it's it's his version of that, and you could si- kind of see the the John Hughes influence throughout mm. this film if you if you look back through it. And uh, that's something I saw. You're right, 100. percent It is, it is I, clearly here, Logan. I really like the point. Don't listen to Van. Don't listen to that. Oh, the point is crap. brilliant. Don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't read your Van Twitter replies. Uh, Apex Mountain. John Singleton. Unfortunately, I think yes. Gotta be. I do like a lot of his movies, and since he passed, I think there's been a big reevaluation of the first five or six movies that he made. Big reevaluation right now. You guys did Higher Learning, obviously. Rosewood, Baby Boy, oh, and Poetic great. Justice. Yeah. All good films, all interesting movies, all movies that are trying to do something that is a little different inside of the Hollywood studio system. He did make some clunkers, though. He did yeah. make some clunkers. Yeah. Ice Cube. The actor? I think you could argue for Ice Cube. Ah, man, Friday is going to be tough, dog. When well, did when did the second album come out? Um, was it after this movie, or was it simultaneous? That fall, he was at one point. Ice Cube was the biggest rap star in the world. Like just yeah. But is like that a this point it. here? Or is it like a year later? It was a good day. Is what ninety three? Something like that. So it's got to so, be Friday then. All right. Yeah. Fishburn, Larry. Got to be the Matrix. The Matrix. Yeah. Probably. The is Matrix. it Apex Mountain mm-hmm. for Larry Fishburn? You may be for Larry, for Larry Fishburn. Fishburn. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yes. Yeah. Eat a burger. Okay. I don't even know apparently where it was. Apparently, Burger was a real place. I Googled it. I thought they made it up for the movie, but apparently it existed for a while. It did look a little generic when you did no, see it. It, it looked real, like they, re- like they redid it to make the signage yeah. and stuff. Yeah. No, it actually existed. Keep Gooding. No. I would say winning the Oscar. Jerry Maguire. got to be. Characters named Styles. Because you could also go Styles Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf. Styles P. Work? No. No. 
I think I think this was the apex. Angela Bassett, no. I heard Apex has just gone on for 40 straight years. Mm-hmm. She's right. an alien. Pouring out of 40. Mm. Which there's that was great form in how he did it. Though. There's like some, it was there's a possibility he might have been kind of invented slash popularized the concept in this movie. Uh it, it was it was I don't want to, obviously it existed. Cemented it. Yeah, but maybe but I don't know, man. Because, like, there's a lot of, I remember I saw it the first time I saw somebody doing it. It was actually in a documentary. Was it really, after this, though? I can't remember. Because, like, we 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 uh, we didn't really do it, and I don't know anybody that did it in Louisiana. So, I don't know. I don't know about that one. But maybe, but this was, like. Internet, the internet research on this is, like, he might have invented it. Because <laughs> it was Mall 40. There's, like, some weird, he might have gotten paid for it. Possibilities. For real? I mean, the I mean Mall 40, they were, they were. I'm, it's hard. It's hard to believe. I, I really don't know. It's hard to believe that he would have invented it though, because it, it comes back. And is it more so than there's a Tupac song, right? It pour well, out a little liquor. liquor yeah. yeah, like that. I feel like but that, that was is, after the movie, though. It was, but Apex Mountain. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Detroit, Apex Mountain of pour out a little liquors was the segment on real ones. Let's keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Detroit Tiger Hats. That popularized it for sure. Nah, Jack Morris has something to say about that, right? Jack Morris. Any other Apex Mountains? Um, any other Apex? Well, our girl's Apex Mountain. Alicia, Alicia Rogers. Class mm, Act. Fair. Definitely her I Apex think Cla- Class Act might be Lee Apex Long? Mountain. No, not Lee Long, right? No. Nah. Nah. Long, no. Nah. No. no way. No, that's best man. Pick and Nits. This is a big one for me. Uh-oh. We couldn't have gotten the three-minute football game scene with one of Ricky's games. <laughs> just to see how ill he was. Just got, gone to the stadium that's and like— point. Have Ice Cube b- accidentally bump somebody, and then maybe the you bump know, scene actually. Ha- the bump scene. Of, uh, I just feel like I just wanted to be at a game, and I the wanted to see game. different things. Yeah. Chris versus Dorsey. Maybe they didn't have the money to do it. Maybe not. It's a great call. I would have loved to see Ricky on the sidelines, catch the touchdown. Hold right. on. Uh, mentioned Fishburne's only seven years older than Cuba Gooding in real life. It's a slight nitpick. Little Ricky needed to be a better athlete. Uh, another scene I needed. So they mentioned Tecmo Bowl, but I, I just give me ten seconds of two people playing Tecmo Instead Bowl. Of, it's right there. This is the era. Okay, there was one time you could have done the Tecmo Bowl, and that was when Monster has the gun, and he but it winds up being a video right, game, and they're playing that game. But that, but I don't think you can do Tecmo Bowl because for that scene you needed suspense, and this right. thing is all about That's tension. Fair. So it makes sense. All right, let's get to it. Um, what is Ricky doing in his final moments of his life? What is happening? <laughs> All right, what, so, what is he doing? So these guys things, are driving around. It's the same guys that pulled out a machine so gun and decisions. shot in the air. Right. He's has to stop to pee. He has to. He's doing a. Does he, he have to, to pee that bad? No, it's running, of course not. You can pee when you get to the crib. He decides to separate because it'll be safer. But as soon as they separate, he's just walking one mile an hour doing a scratch card. It's right. like, are you scared or are you not scared? Right. So the whole thing doesn't make any sense. Number one, Ricky is as elusive as some, anyone gets. We've seen it. He ran for two hundred and seventy-six yards against Washington. Okay. <laughs> um, but but the reality is that, and <clears throat> we've talked about this so much. Ricky just acts as a sitting duck, right? He, he couldn't jump in nobody's he backyard. He doesn't zag. He doesn't do anything. He runs in a straight line mm. for the shotgun, which has a tremendous amount of range on it. Normally, you don't get that much range on a double barrel shotty, but whatever. Just the entire thing. They did not act like a group of guys that had some guys out to kill them that were in their neighborhood all the time. Like these guys were pulling up and 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 threatening them they all the time. They were not scared. They was coming. I know they weren't. They, they weren't scared. Even the whole thing, like they they running through houses, they cutting, they doing all. Like for me, 
I'm not gonna run through the house and then drop down in the alley where the alley is a straight straightaway. Yeah, you got streets on both sides. Yeah, and you're like, well, we're safe now. We're in this alley that very easily the car could pop. And out. what's the point? And, and what's the point of splitting up? First of all, the point of splitting up, I, I, and I tell you, I, t- I thought about this for a second. No, the point is so that Cuba Gooding can run toward him and yell, "Ricky!" I get that, but I think Rick was trying to leave Trey, and I'll tell you why. Ooh. Ricky is way faster than Trey. I think Ricky, in the back of his mind, was thinking, hey, this Trey guy's slowing me down. Mm. If this really happens. Well, you know I, what else is slowing him down? The fucking scratch cards. Fuck right. that milk. Maybe don't do Fuck the that scratch cards. Fuck that cornmeal. He wanted to bring the cornmeal back to his girl. Okay, but after that, all that happens. Damn, bro. Postmates would have been clutched during this yeah. time. Yeah. It's the biggest flaw in the movie. You guys yeah. done blaming the victim? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I just feel like they would... Not feel safe until they were home, knowing that these guys had just pulled out a machine gun a day earlier and then drove into their neighborhood. To and them. put a put a double barrel shotgun in Trey's face for nothing. Yeah. And the first scene that you see him. I have a picking mid slash unanswerable question about that scene. Go ahead. So at the beginning of the movie, they, they stop Trey, they drop the window, they stick the shotgun out and they put it in his face. What song is playing? Ice Cube's A Bird in the Hand. My favorite Ice Cube song of all time. It's a song about why young black men feel that they need to deal drugs and what the proposition is for being for growing up in that environment. Incredible writing, incredible beat on the song. Does Ice Cube exist in Doughboy's world? <laughs> is Ice Cube an artist in the world oh, of Boys wow. in the Hood? Oh, shit. wow. Jesus. Jesus Christ, Sean. Is, he, is, like, is Doughboy like the biggest Ice Cube fan of all time? Or are people like, is that Ice Cube or is that Doughboy? Is that, do they Doughboy get has a rap career? Do they get mistaken? <laughs> but he, he looks, looks just like well, him. Well, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Like, do, Doughboy has a rap career, but he hasn't made it yet. You know, he, like, has a hot thing. <laughs> you know what this is? Hey, you know what this, you know what this is? Yeah. You know what this is? This is Ocean's 13. Remember that terrible thing that they did? Ocean's 12. 12. Oh, was it 12? Yes. Yeah. That terrible thing they did where... Julia Roberts. Well, Tess looks like Julia Roberts. This is the same thing. It's the Tess Julia Roberts paradox. movies where this has happened. Uh, Where like the beams have been crossed, basically. The wash when they're like Snoop and Dre are listening to Snoop and Dre, Mm. or like Training Day when like Snoop is in. I think they played the Snoop song during that time. Dre was also in that movie. Yeah, Yeah. it's very pointed because that is the record that those guys would be listening to in that car. It's realistic. Any other nitpicks for you guys? Um, No. Stop lying, bro. Stop lying to your dad about sex to get points off. I just I don't know if that's a nitpick, but don't do. You don't have to do that. I like that scene. I, we didn't mention it for most rewatchable, but I do like him telling the story <laughs> and the way that Singleton stages that. You know, and the, the way you hear his voice, but you watch the actors kind of mouthing the words. Yeah, like, that here's a really question cool. though: Does Furious believe Trey? Because Trey's clearly no. lying. Does he no, believe? No, I, no, not at all. He knows. Could this be remade as a ten episode Netflix show? Um, it could. I think that's kind of. I don't sac- want it sacrilegious. to. Sacrilegious. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want know. it to. Please don't do that. All right, probably unanswerable questions. Did this movie create Booyah? Booyah? Stu Scott shows up at the Sports Center, probably 92, 93 range. I don't think he says Booyah during a highlight until 95. Did he do that because of Boys in the Hood? Because somebody says it in this movie. I don't think Booyah. I think, no, I don't think it did. You don't think he got Booyah from Oh, I don't know what, I don't know if Stu got it from there, but maybe he he did. I think he did. <laughs> how, do you, how do you come up with booyah? I mean, booyah is a thing. People say booyah. <laughs> booyah. People say booyah. So Stewart's I don't know, was but a he would grab still in ninety. No, but he would grab pop culture stuff. That was part of what, I know when he how his shtick took off. Yeah, 
I think this, it's conceivable. This sounds like that's why it's unanswerable. Podcast series. It's an unanswerable question. Gotta get booyah from. I, I think we could do it. I think we could do it too. Did this that's movie nice. create pouring out of forty? We covered that. All right, Van. Is this movie cursed? Oh wow. Mm. So this is this is super super weird. So three of the people that are in the film, all right, uh, passed away from really weird circumstances. Mm -hmm. So one of the guys, um, and I got a, the, the guy with the shotgun, mm -hmm. he ended up going to jail for double homicide. And then when he went to jail for double homicide, was killed by his cellmate in a satanic ritual. Whoa. Oh. So the guy... Tough way to go. Yeah, killed by a cellmate in a satanic ritual. Which one was that? Oh, uh, the guy with the shotgun. I, I, I got to look his name up. Wait, hey, old light-skinned dude with the... the, the yeah, back. Oh, yeah. wow. Monster passed away, I think, a couple of years after that. Um, a pacifier dude. No, pacifier dude. No, Dookie, he's dead too. He got shot. Some at, a, years, at a car race. At a, yeah, at a car race. And then Monster was killed. I, like, I can't remember what happened to him. I think it was an accident what happened with him when I was looking these guys up. But I, I started to see, because what, what really, I remember I posted, a, a, back in the day, I posted a picture of Shotgun Dude, and somebody was like, yo, Van, look into his story. And I did. And it is... What's the story? The, sure. the story was he ended up going to jail for dumb homicide. That after he went to jail, he, they put him in a cell with somebody who then murdered him as part of a satanic ritual. That's actually a true thing. That's a real thing. Jeez. And then other two, out of Doughboy's crew, like two of the guys would die within, I think, five years of the movie being made, yeah. of the movie Duke coming out. In a this is not justice. compared to the Poltergeist Cursed. It doesn't. The Poltergeist Cursed is much, That's much deeper. Way more fucked up. This much is pretty deeper. good, though. Yeah. So so yeah. Two of the guys died. Like almost all of our major stars from this movie are alive, though. Which but everyone, so we, which is not, which is why it's not cursed. But not yeah. John Singleton, who was I think only fifty-one years old when he passed away. I mean, that's yeah. very young. Yeah. yeah. I have a good one for you guys. Give it. <sighs> We're gonna play out Ricky's USC football career. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> Here's the real life USC. They go six and five with Larry Riley in nineteen ninety two. <laughs> Ricky's freshman year. Okay. They fire Larry Riley. They hire John Robinson. Oh, they go so, eight and five and ninety three. Somebody else comes. They Is this go, quarterback Tom Marinovich at all during this stretch? It's before that. It's before I think that. It's a little before. Yeah. yeah. Tom Marinovich is the recruiting pitch. He's like, "Yo, you go hang with Todd, and you guys go." I don't think they would have liked each other. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nineteen ninety four, USC goes eight three and one. They win the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. 95, they go 9-2-1. They win the Rose Bowl. That would have been Ricky's senior That year. was Keyshawn was on that team, right? From right. saying. So here are the running backs. So they have this guy, Sean Walters, in 94. 976 yards, 11 TDs. The following year, he signs a league with an agent, gets kicked off the team, replaced by Deion Washington, 1,109 yards, 6 TDs. I feel like Ricky... Is is starting over both of those. So let me guys, ask you a question: They never became NFL guys. So and they got Keyshawn returning kicks and punts right there at that time, right? Yeah, I think it's Ricky and Keyshawn. I, I think it's Ricky. I think they might be undefeated in '95. I so, think it's Ricky and Keyshawn. Hold on, we have to slow down a second because okay, Keyshawn obviously is the number one overall draft pick by my New York Jets. So is it so could Ricky? That Ricky could have been a New York Jet, or somehow, what's more likely? Is he an LA Raider or an LA Ram? How, let me go further. Oh, wow. Could Ricky Baker be on the ESPN Morning Show with Keyshawn right now? Right wow. now. I think he's a Raider, by the way. The USC guys? Yeah. I mean, he definitely could. Two guys, because they played college ball together. 
Or, 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 because he kind of, he kind of teetered. He was like, maybe I could be, did he say, maybe I could be in like journalism? Or he said business, right? He, he said, said business, I want to do yeah. business and like computers or something. Yeah. Let's keep going. You know, could he be the was GM of, of the Tampa Bay Bucks right now? Well, you know, could he have replaced John Lynch? I was trying to go through all the college running backs, and that it actually was kind of not a Kajana, great era. Kajana Carter. Yeah, it was like there Rashawn was a lot Salam. of busts in the 93, 94, well, well, As far as NFL it was almost all the guys. Yeah. Like, like remember, Rashawn Salon was a big deal. He might have had a couple of good years with Chicago. Yep. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. uh, Kajana Carter was a big, huge deal from Penn State. Um, Lawrence fucking Phillips. Marshall Falk did okay. He did fucking fantastic. I'm giving you the uh, <laughs> or 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 <laughs> he did. I, I do have a question for you. Or does fantastic. Ricky maybe he doesn't figure out at SC and maybe goes to San Diego State? Nah, he's going to SC. No, he's going to USC. No, 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 no. I'm saying he goes to USC, right? But transfers to San Diego State. Wow. Isn't that where Ladanian went? Here's no, your um, TCU. That's where Marshall Falk went. Marshall Falk. Oh, Marshall Falk went. Yeah. Yeah. So your 96 NFL draft, Keyshawn is the first pick. Uh -huh. So Keyshawn is in the same class as Ricky Baker. Jonathan Ogden's fourth. Lawrence Phillips is sixth. Tim Biakapatuka is eighth. Wow. wow. He's a semi-bust. Um, let me do the running back. Napoleon Kaufman, is he somewhere around there? I'm doing, I'm Go getting, Raiders. I'm getting you all the running backs. Eric right Bienemy? I had a yeah. Napoleon Kaufman jersey as a kid. We Napoleon have, Kaufman was ill, yeah. especially in, in college. Eddie George is 14th. Oh, he was good. <laughs> Mike Allstott, second round. Oh, 35. my guy! How about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the other one? From, from, from UCLA. <laughs> I remember he had a couple idiot. of good games from Miami, right? Steven Davis, who punched out. Did he get punched out or did he punch out the guy? Was he a Panther? Remember he got the he fight in the No, he was uh, a Redskins. Oh, he was a He was a Panther. He was a Panther. He punched the dude Did he play for the Redskins too? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then, Does Ricky like have a movie career though? Maybe. There was a lot of running backs yeah, taken. I think he gets drafted. There's like 30 running who else? backs taken. Who else is there? I just want to Nobody know. good. It's like Richard Huntley, Jairus McPhail, Derek Harris, Tim Hall. Mm. So anyway, the fact that he was, that Keyshawn, who was the most famous USC player before Bush and Leonard, all those dudes, um, the fact that they would have been on the same team kind of. Like, Unstoppable. Yeah. yeah. I think they go 11 and 0. Unstoppable uh, duo. What piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie? Uh... Honestly, I'm gonna be real with you. Quick story, because I, I have the hat on that I have right now, the South Central Cinema. Yeah, this was the I have the memorabilia that I wanted from the film. I mm -hmm. wanted the South Central Cinema hat. Good one, Sean. I think it'd look really cool if I was left the office today in a gold Chevy Impala. I was about so, to say his yeah. nose car. Yeah, I liked Young Ricky's <laughs> cheap USC jersey. I think is a classic. Mm -hmm. What about the I football? Love that Ricky dropped? Dropped. Oh, the football. Either one of those. I like both. You gonna take the football that that man's dad gave him? What's like? I got the football. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> I finally got it. Hey, hey, which swap meet did uh, Ricky get his jersey from? Van? I don't know. Probably Slauson. Slauson. Yeah. 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 Uh, who won the movie? Damn, John Singleton. I'm with Logan. I want to say Fishburne, but I think it's Singleton. Just because first black director ever nominated for an Oscar. He, and he sets up a, a career. Star. Yeah, it's got to be Singleton. It's got to be God Singleton. Damn it, I want to give it to Fishburne, but I can't. It, but if, if uh, I want to say Cube so bad. Mm. There's I'll a case. It. There's I, a case. I, I, I want to say Cube so bad, man. Cube, Cube's career, it just, it, it takes on a different form and a different shape after this. Yeah. Like Ice Cube becomes, it like, very rarely, I mean, obviously John Singleton, but very rarely does somebody explode onto the movie scene like Ice Cube did in this movie. It's a good one. A lot of nominees. A lot of nominees, man. We we left out Regina King, who is probably the most successful and still killing it right now, man. There's a lot of people in this movie that are still killing so it. So how right many now, Oscar man. winners did we have from this movie? Because she eventually won one. So we got 
Her? Fishburne hasn't won. Fishburne, Fishburne never hasn't won, won. But he's been nominated. He's, he's been, been nominated. nominated. So Cuba Gooding won. So Cuba won. She won. Angela Bassett was nominated. Fishburne was nominated for the same movie. Uh, Singleton nominated didn't win. Singleton nominated didn't win. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else in there. No. I think that's it. Still pretty impressive. It. A lot of Oscar. All right. Boys in the Hood fan. Sean. Logan. Pleasure. Thanks, Bill. Always, guys. For Sholi. That's it for the podcast. We are back. Get this. Sunday night next week. Not Monday night. Sunday night with a special July 4th episode. Hmm. I wonder why we picked July 4th for next week's movie. I guess you'll have to find out. The producer of this podcast was our guy, Craig Horlbeck. What a strapping, handsome lad he is. What a great producer. Thanks, Craig. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the week. We will see you on Sunday night on The Rewatchables. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.